Hello, everyone. Welcome to Week My Recap. It is April the 28th of 2021. I am Nick, here with Chris. It's manga time. Hooray. It is. Uh, Nick, yes. I, got my, I got my shot done. My first shot of my vaccine done. And uh, don't feel too bad, but, I, you know, I could fall asleep in the middle of this podcast. Who knows? Um, but I have, a, I have a very small story to tell you in relation to that. So... I work uh, in retail as like a side gig, essentially. Um, and it's one of those things that I was like, you know, I probably should get vaccinated, but I've, I've kind of held off. And I like my mind's just like, now there's a teacher who needs it more than me or a fireman or something like that. And then eventually you're just like, yeah, those people got it. <laughs> you have to get it now, you know, et cetera, something like that. But I, I've avoided getting it, you know, or anything like that. Think I'm doing well. Head into, uh, I got mine done at a Rite Aid. Um, so I head into the Rite Aid, and there's an older woman who came into the store a couple steps ahead of me. And she heads to the registers, I assume to ask them something, and then has like a really expedient step all the way towards the back where the pharmacy is, where I'm already heading. So I get there, she's a couple steps ahead of me, so she's going to go to the counter first. And then there's like three or four people sitting down waiting to get their vaccine shot. I hear her go up to the counter and she says, do y'all do COVID testing here? They're like, no. She's like, oh, cause I feel really sick right now. <laughs> and you could just see everyone <laughs> in the area. Just like, no, not now. <laughs> not when we're so close. <laughs> cause then she leaves and she just sits down next to us. I'm like, no, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> did you actually tell her to go away no i mean she eventually like just got up and left but i was just like why are you sitting here go away oh my god dude this is this shit like always happens to you out of the two of us <laughs> i just i it's one of those moments of just like no not not here not now Oh man! But she left. I'm sure. Oh, I did. Yeah. God, I had. I. Yeah, I got my first shot a couple weeks ago, and like nothing like that happened. Like they had a freaking assembly line in and out of there. I was so happy with the place that I went to, uh, and uh, no, I didn't have anyone cough on me either. So <laughs> no, you know. No crashing right before the finish line for me. Well, yeah, we will get my second. Uh, yeah, I think it went fine. We shared a quick milkshake and then we were done. So <laughs> one straw and, uh, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, I want her to still feel welcome, even though she was not in the right place at all. Gave her a very neighborly uh, open mouth kiss. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to make sure. Platonically. That, uh, platonically. <laughs> I just gave her, I just, uh, right. I, I pantomimed how to do a mouth to mouth CPR <laughs> resuscitation on her, you know. You know, in case she has trouble breathing. Exactly. Know. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's so sick. <laughs> uh, everyone, before we get into the manga this week, uh, last week I told y'all I wanted to read something else besides a certain series that we still have to talk about today. Uh, and, and I put it to you. To, to you. Oh, oh, that is. Uh, I put it to you. 
to uh, help me decide which series I would get caught up on so we could do an episode we can mind cap on. And uh, when I put it up on Twitter, Jujutsu Kaisen got 55.7% of, of the votes. Uh, it stayed roughly at that proportion almost the entire way through the process. So roughly, you know, 55, 45, almost all the way through. I've decided to ignore those results. <laughs> <laughs> and read the shorter season. <laughs> because I really don't want to talk about Ayakashi Trial next week. I... So... You know, thanks everybody. You want to know what's the best part? The eggs on my face. When the polls came up, I was like, yeah, it looks like Jujutsu Kaisen's won it. You know what? In preparation for Jujutsu Kaisen coming into recap, I'm going to reread the whole series to get caught up on it. <laughs> and I did. But the eggs on my. I guess it's time to catch up on Undead Unluck again. Reread that series. Uh, there were a number of factors that went into it. Um, people telling me that they would just, you know, think that it would be friendlier uh, for the format that we do in terms of, you know, eventful chapters versus text heavy chapters. Uh, the, uh, you know, the fact that my co-host favor of one over the other. Uh, and uh, also this is very, this might be the biggest factor, but very selfishly, uh, I've been watching the Jujutsu Kaisen anime and and uh, have enjoyed just experiencing the series that way. So uh, maybe at a later time I'll get caught up on Jujutsu Kaisen and we'll discuss it on the show as well. But um, yeah, I guess we're going to see how that uh, undead pervert uh, series <laughs> develops. And uh, I don't know. It's... I guess it's a. I don't know. It's probably an appropriate like step back from Ayakashi Triangle. So It's fine. He eventually just wants to groom her for having sex so that he could die. It's fine. It actually does get past that, and then they just want to kill God. So, you know, <laughs> you know, you have to elevate the goal every so often. Um, I'll say that there are quite a few people I know who are actually going to probably be glad to hear that because they were also like you kind of enjoying watching Jujutsu Kaisen through the uh, um, uh, anime. Uh, and, uh, you know, it should be fun. I'm actually looking forward to it. I'm, look. Uh, it'll also be another series that I'll probably lead the, the recap on as well. Uh, mostly just because I know, like, three characters' names, and I feel like that's all I really need to qualify, you know? Billy. Yeah. Can't, can't remember her name. All right, so I got one right now, but <laughs> by next week, I'm going to have them all down. I thought that the main guy's name was Andy. Yeah, there's also a Billy. I mix the two of them up a lot. They have normal, like, oh, regular okay. old names. Okay. Okay. So that's that's what confuses me. <laughs> All right. Okay. Billy's the bad guy. So. Manga. Yeah, let's do it. Let's start my manga. We'll see if my internet recovers as we go through this episode. Yes. Uh, to begin the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap, uh, and uh, so about, I think, two weeks from now, we will talk about um, Undead Unlock, because next week there is no jump. There's probably also not going to be any uh, Eden Zero either next week or the week after. Sometimes they don't line up in the weeks that they take off uh, during these holidays. Uh, we will do something else instead, probably. 
mm-hmm. but no manga discussion. So there you go. My Hero Academia, chapter number 310, Masters and Pupil. Uh, we begin this chapter with the introduction of uh, Monster Girl Waifu. Uh, she's very cute, and she's a monster girl. I'm sure that she's going to have a lot of fans right away. Uh, I don't even know if we ever actually learn her name, come to think of it. She's just uh, a girl who's being harassed by... Some of those guys that, uh, you know, are using support items to villains and stuff and, of course, not properly trained the way the heroes are. So they immediately make trouble and they're harassing this girl who is just trying to make her way through a rainy night to get to a shelter because she's safe. And uh, apparently she has reason to uh, not feel safe because these people are uh, attacking her because she looks different. And uh, that's not very nice. No, it's not. Fortunately, Deku arrives at the nick of time to save her. And uh, he tells everyone, hey, she's not a threat to you, of course. Uh, And these guys say, well, she shouldn't wander around in the dark looking like that. Which is a good time to make me think about violence against minorities. Because it seems like that problem is never-ending. So, mm. anyway... Deku is very nice to the to the uh, the fox, I guess, lady, uh, and even like uh, returns her umbrella to her, and he has to like jump up in the air and float in order to give it to her because she's so tall. It's cute, and uh, he says, "Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure that everyone's just scared." Uh, and she says, "I wonder if it'll ever all go back to normal." And Deku promises, "I'll make it so." Then he's got to be going because he is mysterious Batman right now, so he's got to fade into the night. Whoosh. Until All Might shows up in his Lamborghini. His know. fucking Batmobile. It's uh, look, come on. At some point I feel like you're you're running a risk of of, of DC actually going after you guys. <laughs> like at this point I'm waiting for Deku to be like, ah yes, my new quirk, Deku Rangs. They look like a little picture of my face. Although <laughs> They kind of messed up the mold and it looks like a bat, but that's fine. It still goes just as fine. Yeah, I guess people were making all the Spider-Man comparisons, but the Black Whip could be like his Gatling hooks and stuff. And then he's got the smoke screen, which is much more Batman than Spider-Man. So. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of Spider-Man in there, too. It's just this particular dark Deku turn or whatever has been very Batman-esque. Darku. Darku. So, uh, All Might shows up and immediately ruins Deku's mystique because uh, when he shows up on the scene... I packed you a lunch! He tells him to take the... Uh... Oh, I forgot! He actually yeah, did pack him a lunch! Gives... <laughs> yeah, he gives, him a, was, he gives him a bento with I tonkatsu I was just saying it. that as a joke. And then I was like, wait a minute, he actually does give him a lunchbox, doesn't he? <laughs> Uh, Deku goes and perches on a I, on a tower uh, and starts conversing with uh, previous vestige uh, to talk about how you know no uh, 
like things are going back to the way they were during the advent of the exceptional. Uh, and we don't have any leads on all the people that, we, that we're after. The authorities don't have the manpower to follow up on them. The world's easy pickings for the bad guys. And it basically stress like, situation kind of sucks. And Deku knows that, that there's a lot of pressure on him because he's got to unlock the full power of one for all. He's got to achieve the full potential of the Avatar state in order to save the four nations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... We then cut back to a conversation that was being had uh, while Deku was asleep. And uh, when there were the two people that were facing the wall, the two vestiges that were not talking to Deku, despite the fact that they were present. Uh, So one of them, who is the guy with the ponytail, basically... Uh, says that the two of them lived through the harshest era, the height of all for one's prosperity, and those who were under his control didn't even realize it, but our leader had misgivings about the future. Said leader is the short-haired guy who's got a big old scar on his face, we can see now. And uh, he addresses one for all, whose name is Yoichi, and says, you were there with us and you saw it, and I sought to bring down your brother and extinguish so many lies in the process because in our battle, victory meant life and defeat. And now you're telling us to devote our efforts to one who wants to save our enemy. And so because this Deku having a ridiculous delusion, but one for all points out, back then, you saved me. You knew about my ties to your mortal enemy and you reached out to me and our battle could have never begun if you hadn't taken me from this room on that day the room that they are standing in um i didn't clock this until he flat out says it here is actually the same room that he was kept in by all for one uh where he kind of held him prisoner while he was in power uh then again that said room uh is not there and was mostly featureless to begin with I'm going to forgive myself for not getting that so he points out and stresses the point that because presumably the first inheritor of uh, one for all reached out your hand that was when one for all was truly born was because of that show of mercy and camaraderie and uh, we Finish the chapter back in the present, coming back from that point of all with all the vestiges now surrounding Deku saying, listen up, things are going to move quickly from here on out. Well, we'll see about that. (laughs) Uh, But Deku kind of. Deku kind of ruins that point a little bit because he's eating the lunch that All Might brought for him. So super serious time. Me and my lunch. Yeah. um, Look. It's a decent chapter, you know, we're getting, cutting right into the notion of like, hey, Deku seems to be at least making progress with those two guys. So, you know, that plot line's going to be addressed. You kind of understand a little bit of where they're at, where they're like, look, we existed at a time when All for One was like a 
dictatorship and like a usurper and we were all being killed by him. So fuck Shigaraki, kill the shit out of him. Uh, like you get why they're kind of turning their <laughs> attention the other way. Um, I will say uh, that now that we see these two characters, uh, their designs are very forgettable. So I guarantee the next time one of these characters shows up, I will say to you, Nick, Nick, who's that? And you're going to be like one of the all for one success or yeah, one for all successors. And I'm going to be like, no, there's only Black Whip, the lady, first guy, and that's it. And then, like, four other amorphous blobs. <laughs> one of which is All Might. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess he'd be one of them. <laughs> I'm impressed that you put Black Whip up there. But then again, I guess Black Whip's probably got the most memorable design. I was going to say, he's got, a, so. he's got, like, a big jutting chin face. So I kind of remember him. And Nana, that's who I was just trying to think of her name. Everyone else. Uh, yeah. Yeah, don't 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 try and say don't try and say one of the, uh, don't try and say Nana without saying her name because people will correct you on that. Yeah, well, you know. So what if they do? You uh, know what I do? Yeah, Black Clover's uh, proof of what happens when you try to sass me about names. <laughs> Appar- apparently, they did it towards you yeah, last week. A... Did they? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess it was uh, Candy Flurry. I, I guess reset or whatever oh. is not actually resetti or whatever. I don't know. Right, right, right. It's res- it's apparently reset and resetti. I'm sorry, I don't know. Any... That's a French word. It's from a French root, I believe. I mean, and also beyond that, I know nothing about baking or sweets or confectionery creations of any kind. So, also, bad. it's candy least... flurry. So who I... gives a shit? <laughs> It's one chapter. <laughs> Let's move on to Eden Zero. So. Uh, no, well, we have a Kaiju number eight chapter uh, first to talk about. Oh, I forgot to open this. Okay. okay. Well, it is uh, uh, for me. chapter yeah, 32, <laughs> and it has no name. And uh, last time Kafka revealed his secret and transformed into Kaiju number eight. And there was some confusion of people saying, I wonder if everybody actually saw it or, you know, they're they're... There's some. There's no vagueness in it. Every single one of them's like, "Oh, Kafka's Kaiju number eight. Okay, and he has to solve the big problem of the bomb coming down on them. They they clock the Kafka is a Kaiju, and it is confirmed that he is Kaiju number eight because his reading pops up on the radar when he transforms. Yeah. So yes, there's a uh, that, um, and uh, we get Hoshina also uh, going back and realizing. You know, I always did kind of feel like something was off about him, but I was taken in by him. And I think that I part of me was really trying to not acknowledge that this was a possibility because Kafka is such a likable guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I- Ichikawa, of course, gets on the radio and is says to Kafka, do you have any idea what you're doing? Uh, uh, but uh, Shinomiya has realized the unfortunate truth, which is that if that giant swollen bomb thing goes off it'll probably kill every officer beneath it uh and kafka says well the vice captain put his body on the line to fight so i can't see, sit on the sidelines just to save my own skin and he braces himself and parts of his body open up 
in order to let out some of his jet burst things uh, that we've seen him use before. And as he gathers power, the ground bursts beneath him. And he jumps high into the air and rocket punches the bomb. And instead of exploding it, it somehow bombards it into the air and then it explodes. And everyone is able to take cover uh, and the bomb is high enough up in the air that yes, it does. The, the shockwave does blow apart some uh, buildings, but the damage is for the most part uh, mitigated. And uh, Kafka has hit it so hard this time that when he comes back to the ground, he's like, man, I screwed up. My arms and legs are shot. He hit it so ridiculously hard and pushed himself so hard in order to do this that he ain't getting anywhere if uh, someone tries to capture him. And uh, he kind of scolds himself a little bit, saying to himself, I ought to know better at my age. I pushed myself too far. And he apologizes silently to Ichikawa and Kikoru for doing this. And he is approached by Mina, who points a pistol at him and says, Kafka Hibino, no, Kaiju number eight, I'm taking you into custody. And she doesn't look especially happy about this, but Kafka looks incredibly sad and resigned to uh, being taken in. So we got to this point relatively, at a relatively, I think, good pace. I mean, Kaiju number eight's been uh, published now for a, still a little bit less than a year. Um, but, uh, man, you could have, like, really, really strung this out you know yeah. the secret of kafka's and i'm glad that it uh, did not do that so i love the detail of hoshino's not even facing him when it happens i think it's clearly like this bothers him more than it does other people um and i love kafka's expression honestly when i've been thinking about most of the series of jump this week that's the thing i've been thinking of the most is just that shot of kafka at the end his mask quite literally broken and just one eye and sadness kind of staring out there. And you really do get the sense that for him, this is just like the inevitable reality he's kind of been hoping wouldn't happen. Like there was definitely a part of him that thought, yeah, yeah maybe, you know what? I've got 1% of my suit unlocked. I think I could do this without having to rely on my, my kaiju powers. Despite the fact every single thing he's done as an officer, he has had to rely on his kaiju powers at some point in that process for. So yes. It's He's one those... never successfully made it through a mission without transforming. Yeah, so it's one of those things where you see that 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 weight there, and this whole scene just comes across extremely well. That's I, I think it was a great chapter. All right, now yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the fallout from this. Yeah, yeah. Now we'll talk about no, Eden Zero, chapter one forty one, a world of ash. So we get a giant two page color spread. Uh, and the only thing to note is that I always forget how terrifying Moskoi's color design is until I see it. Holy shit, it is horrifying. Um, I may, I think it's just because the design of the character is so bad that when I see it in color, it, it feels more real to me and terrifies me on a new level I wasn't prepared for. Uh, anyway, the Eden Zero. When, um, when, when you see everyone else who is normally in black and white have, you know, normal flesh tones. And then you see that he's still black and white. It, uh, yeah. It makes you realize, Oh no, he's, he looks even worse than I imagined that he would. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so Shiki and the, the Eden Zero have broken past the barrier onto this new planet. Uh, it is explained that this is a planet of ash, and this ash affects the body, but, you know, it won't do it long term. A little ash won't hurt anybody. Uh, Witch says, I attempted to analyze its composition, but I cannot identify all of its components. So, note that down, everybody. By the end of this arc, something relevant has to happen, or all of these little fucking scenes here were pointless. There has to be something in this fucking ash. Why the fuck is it even there? All right. So they're like, hey, we're going to get over to the all link system. We have to destroy it because if we don't, all the robots in this cosmos, including us, will be killed. But then their ship stops. And they're like, what? There's no abnormalities in the power system. What's? It's like we hit an invisible wall. And like, no, we didn't hit a wall. We were stopped by Shura. His gravity powers have stopped us. And Hermit... Goes onto her little computer. Type, 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 type. Oh no, the numbers are, are way higher than expected. This shouldn't be happening. And uh, Shiki's like, don't worry, I'll handle it. She's like, you can't pop the numbers, Shiki. The numbers are so high. And he's like, friendship, I'll handle this. And he jumps out of the ship to handle it. And uh, we basically just get like four straight pages of the two of them talking. I do like Shura, who's just like, who the fuck are you? I don't even, like, there's there's supposed to be, like, eight big players at work here, and I don't even know who you are. And Shiki's like, my grandpa Ziggy. He's like, your whole family sucks, and I'm going to kill you. Uh, he tries to he do, like, the test of strength with Shiki, where they grab hands. He's like, Mom, my gravity power is overpowering you. You know, come on. Don't you use gravity, too? Was this all you got? What a lightweight. And then Shura has been launched into the air. He's like, what? How did that happen? And Shiki punches him. And then Hermit cuts back to Hermit. And she's typing on her machine. She's like, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Sure is not the only numbers that are higher. <laughs> yeah, she's like unfurling a long, a long sheet of paper. Sh Shiki's numbers are huge too compared to this. And uh, that's where the chapter ends. <laughs> it is what it is. It's... I do appreciate approximately one page of it. I just like, I like the setup where Shiki says, I'm going to go out and fight that guy. And they're like, no, you can't. And he's like, I'm going to go fight that guy. And he just, this guy who is messing up their entire battle cruiser with his powers. And Shiki just drops out of it to go and punch him in order to stop it. That's just a cool, you know, m visual setup. Mm-hmm. Everything else after that is stupid. <laughs> His numbers are so high, but Shiki's numbers are high. <laughs> it's a very irrelevant thing. Um, it's also one of those things of like, I think it would have better served to have Shiki drop from the ship and leave us on the cliffhanger of what's going to happen when these two characters interact, as opposed to showing us that Shiki can flip this guy on his ass at a moment's notice. Because now I'm not as excited for the showdown between these two characters anymore, but... You know, that's just me. It's a great way to uh, get your uh, the one of the most important villains of your arc across is to uh, have him go like, you can't beat me and get thrown up into the air and punched uh, and be like, what happened? Like, it makes him so intimidating. Well, like, I suck. <laughs> like, he shouts at as he flies in the air. I blow. What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> I'm not intimidating at all. <laughs> I'm a joke! A joke! 
All right. So, as we want to talk about Blue Box, it's the third chapter of this uh, jumpstart for us. Uh, chapter number three, pretending to be a stranger. Junatsu has basically completely, you know, settled in now and is staying uh, with uh, the family of this guy whose name I keep forgetting, but it's okay. Uh, and uh, so... So he has a little conversation with her in the morning and uh, he says, yeah, I've got to go do prep work. And she's like, okay, good luck. And then he realizes when, uh, (laughs) 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 he realizes uh, when they're both kind of like setting off for work independently, that they're kind of like a married couple. Uh, Calm down, boy. So, um, <laughs> I'm very distracted right now. <laughs> Why? Nick? I gotta be like this guy. I gotta be like this guy, and I gotta do sit-ups to fight against distractions. What would be distracting, so... Nick? You're just here with your best friend, Chris, the defending reigning Vito and the Bank champion. <laughs> yeah, nothing really is going on right now. So, he... At that moment, uh, the brown, red, headed girl who is kind of, sort of, all right, chat, you're going to have to say his name. Do you guys know him? Do you know his name? You you haven't said his name yet. All right, fine. I'll get to it. I'll get it eventually. So Protag is talking with Protag's friend, Hina, uh, and he realizes, wait a minute. If she finds out that I'm living together with Shinatsu, then she'll blab about it to everyone because it's such hot gossip. So I've got to keep this under wraps. And at that moment, Shinatsu happens to approach him because they're at practice together. And she's like, yeah, hey, you forgot your wallet. And I was you know, in a very normal way yeah. um, that uh, does not make him look like a weirdo at all. Uh, and so he just kind of like cuts her off and was like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I must've dropped it somewhere. Not at my house. Where you've never been. Yeah. And he kind of like, like, so he's like, don't say anything in front of her. And so Chinat's like, hey, you're welcome. And it's very kind of stiff way. Uh, Hina has fortunately not caught on to what has happened here. She just thinks that, oh, wow, you were able to have like a normal conversation with you. I'm so proud of you, you pathetic whelp. Uh, then he goes to talk to eat uh, lunch, I guess, and he talks with his glasses friend. And he's like, yeah, you kind of suck at this whole girls and talking and being a regular human being who has to associate with other people on a regular basis thing. Um, but he points out, hey, you know, you should have really talked with her and said you would like to keep your situation a secret because now that you've dodged the topic so weirdly, maybe she'll think you're ashamed of living with her or that you don't want to associate with her in public at all. And of course he's like, Oh no, that's the opposite of how I feel. The privilege of getting to see her when she's still drowsy in the morning. Calm down. I got a squirt bottle just so oh, that's that, 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 that's there. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, I dig it. He's being weird. He's not, look, he's not being specifically horny, but it's like subtext horny, which is almost as egregious. He needs to calm the fuck down. Okay. Fair. So, um, they have to help out with like moving some chairs for the entrance ceremony coming up next week. Uh, then, uh, the guy who's calling them over to help out also calls over Chinatsu and Hina and, uh, our pro tag realizes, oh no, another potentially awkward situation. I have to make sure Hina doesn't find out that I'm living together with Jinatsu and stuff like that. But I also have to make sure that she doesn't get the wrong impression about what I just did. So he goes over to her while she's picking up some chairs and she's like, oh yeah, I can, I can carry one. And she doesn't even look at him and she just goes, thanks, without even making eye contact. And he realizes, oh no, she's got to be angry at me. Or, or... Maybe she's she's playing along room and just pretending. Maybe I'm not good at reading people's minds, but I assume that others are good at reading mine. And that's why I don't tell them what I want them to do. I just assume they'll know what I want them to do. So Hina uh, also gets the wrong impression about what's going on. And so she decides to try and get in with Chinatsu and find out some deets for her buddy. And so she's like, can I ask you a question? Do you have a boyfriend? Just the first thing like she's ever said to this person. Um, and uh, so she gets a bit nosy and she's like, you know, do you ever think about, you know, having a boyfriend, you know, having someone to walk home with and hang out with and stuff like that. And our pro tag is like, oh, I want those things. Calm down. I don't know if this is going to mess up my webcam. I was going to say, if you keep spraying water at it, probably. (laughs) You keep spraying electronics into um, (laughs) water and electronics from far away where you can't see them. Yeah, maybe I should like, uh, I don't know. I I was worried about like not having it to be too, you know, powerful a mist. But yeah, I don't know. If it's not even visible, I don't know why I bothered to do this gag. Oh well. So you could um, uh, you could learn to practice how to spit water out like Triple H. Get the water <laughs> off to the side. Yeah, like I I don't know. It's still like magic to me. I don't know how he does it. I always assume it was special effects. Point. I I think he does it through his teeth or something. Like how does it become a mist so perfectly? Unless yeah. Triple H has like heat based powers in his mouth. And like he just vaporizes. Yeah, he vaporizes it as it goes out of his mouth. Uh, yeah, all, all you people out there that are asking, you know, trying to send in questions for Triple H about, you know, like getting into the business and controlling everything associated with WWE. No, 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 no. How do you spit out water like that? How do you That's do the water thing? For when you... <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, after they help out moving the chairs and stuff like that, uh, by the way, Chinatsu has answers to, to Hina are that she's just putting her attention on, you know, sports right now, uh, which Hina finds to be very awkward for some reason. Uh, they do all this stuff. Uh, the advisor or coach or somebody associated with the team praises, uh, pro tag boy, uh, on, um, how he's, you know, been doing good work lately. And, uh, so 
He says, the coach mentioned you've got a real shot at making it to the next Nationals qualifiers. And he's very happy to hear this. And he turns to Chinatsu, and she's not even paying attention. She's walking away from him and is going to the locker room or something like that. So everyone's kind of like, did something like weird happen between those two? And uh, Glass's friend says, they're actually a better match than I originally thought, which nobody understands because... Hina doesn't know what's going on, and he's not talking to anyone else. So there you go. Speak in weird terms that nobody can understand. That's a great, I'm not great even, policy. I'm not even so, sure what he actually means. It like because he doesn't know that they're staying in a house. Either. Like I'm just like, what is that supposed? to? I guess they're they're both no, difficult. I don't know. He does know that they're staying in a house together. Does he? Yeah, I must have missed that part. Yes, he's the one guy that's, yeah, he's the one guy that he's that has been confided to at their school, but I don't know what he means anyway. So, uh, playing badminton, practicing, uh, and uh, while he's practicing, he sees Chinatsu fall over, uh, and then realizes, oh, I can't even go and check on her because things are awkward between us right now. Uh, so. Glasses boy points this out to him and he's like, yeah, you know, you seem worried, but, you know, you're trying to act like a stranger with her. So you can't even talk to her. Hmm, that kind of sucks, doesn't it? Maybe this is a bad plan on your part. Hmm, you dummy, you dummy. So protag boy is like, stop being mean to me. But then he's like, wait, hey, I, think, I, think on, I think I figured it out. We won't communicate with each other. But in 10 years, I'm going to get an anime created of the manga I draw and you'll be the voice actress in it. <laughs> And then we can get married. <laughs> and the friend's like, this is the smartest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> they do look a little bit like Mashiro and Takagi. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. All right. I was actually pressing my fingers together to indicate how little they look like them. But just a little bit. <laughs> <Yuck>. <laughs> Protag boy goes to check on Shinatsu while she's by herself getting cleaned up and he asks hey are you okay because i saw you you know take a spill earlier and stuff and chinatsu points out i thought you were pretending that you didn't know me while we were here and he explains yeah um i'm sorry that i acted like a total weirdo in front of you but i guess i'm a little embarrassed by the fact we're living together uh and also because you have a greater effect on people than you realize. And if people were to find out, they would make all sorts of rumors up about us. And I was afraid that that might affect both of our team activities. And Jinatsu cuts him off in the middle of his explanation to say, like, oh, that's why. And Protag Boy says, what else could I be talking about? And Jinatsu says, oh, I thought you had a crush on that rhythmic gymnastics girl, Hina. And that's why you were pretending you didn't know me so that things wouldn't, you know, ruin your chances with her. And she even asked me if I had a boyfriend. So I thought that she was like scoping me out as a potential love rival and stuff. So uh, then Protag Boy realizes, oh, my God, she was looking out for me and Hina the whole time. She's so adorable. And he says, you can be such a dummy, senpai, which like... I mean, that's not a weird conclusion to draw, honestly. <laughs> like, I, I guess it's the idea that she's such a good-natured person that it's like, oh, 
you you found a way to like even though i was definitely the asshole in like every step of this you still feel like you know you were trying to look out for us i don't know this guy's got his attitude there so they have a little laugh about it or i guess he has a laugh about it and she gets a little annoyed with him and kind of elbows him very lightly uh and they kind of just you know are talking more amicably now now that things have been cleared up between them so the problem is resolved hooray but at that moment hina happens to walk by and she spots the two of them chatting together she gets uh i guess worried look on her face it definitely is a surprise look but uh we'll see where that goes later uh or will we because it's uh, time to decide if we're going to keep on covering blue box uh-huh. for weekly manga recap uh-huh. so independent of, uh, everything uh chris has a golden briefcase um well, do I? No bearings on. Oh, our, yeah, I guess yeah, I do. There's no this, bearings on this the thing. This this that. old thing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I remain in two minds about this series. Okay. Uh, I do like it and appreciate it, but I am again not really sure if we're going to have a good time talking about it each week. So, I'll probably keep on reading it independent of that. But I don't know if I want it on the podcast. All right, well, that's my genuine like feelings. That's yeah. my genuine feelings on the matter. I'm not playing this up to try and get you to waste your your uh, veto in the bank or anything like. Are that. Are you sure? I mean, the latch opens so easily. For what goods may lie inside? Oh, if I was so much more intelligent, I would have had it. So it's like the pulp friction briefcase. We just see a light shining <laughs> out. <of it. laughs> uh, now look. Uh, I'll be honest. Um. I am enjoying this series. I mentioned before, I just like that this is a romance series um, that so far has been very cute and innocent. The characters in it have not necessarily fallen directly into the tropes that a lot of other romance series in Jump tend to kind of fall in. Um, The main lead's certainly the most boring male lead we've had in a Jump series, uh, romance series in a while. But still, I'm definitely appreciating that this is actually a very sweet series. That said, I think this series is one... We did it before in One Direction. I feel like this would be a good unpinned series. So this is one I don't think we can necessarily add right now. But if time goes on and this series stays as it is and also looks like it's going to stick around for a while, I do feel like having a good romance series in the recap would be something to look forward to and and be enjoyable but as of right now who knows and i'm enjoying it uh but i can kind of quietly enjoy that off to the side as well yeah i think that's a pretty good idea maybe it will even if it doesn't become too much more eventful maybe it'll be more interesting to uh listen to us talk about it when we come back a little later down the line and we're both more invested in the story because as of right now i don't remember the main character's name so <laughs> you don't need to so far he is main character and that's it that's all you need to say about him he has yeah. uh, yet to define a personality trait beyond that he is very much shown in romantic lead mm-hmm. although this all this does mean that i am not going to be bringing back my my spray bottle 
for. Are you bit, sure? The bit, the bit was killing it. Hold I'm on. I'm going to be using it a lot later. <laughs> okay. So. Well, hey. I'm probably hey, actually going to use it a lot later. So. I, I don't think we want to get things in that scene any wetter than they already are. Hey, oh. Let's go over to a very different series from Blue Box Candy Flurry, Chapter and 2. And that it's not good. Way. Um, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves Candy Flurry. <laughs> so we are reintroduced to Tsumugi Minase. She's a candy user. She's a lollipop user. A different lollipop user destroyed Tokyo, but she's accused by it by the reset agent who is now in front of her. Uh, meanwhile, another sweets user is now on the prowl. A macaron user. Get your own gimmicks. Stop using all the same sweets that are in Mashal. It is it is you weird that they've had <laughs> you've had so many opportunities to not do things in Mashal, and of the three you've introduced, two of them have been directly from Mashal. <laughs> Might be another one too. Didn't someone use a fork in Mashal at some point? <laughs> Uh, there was the, uh, assassin guy who showed up that Rain fought that used silverware. Now, I don't recall him actually doing anything, but I think that fight just kind of ended. <laughs> so, uh, um, meanwhile, uh, okay, so the macaron user is on the prowl. Oh, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Uh, Tsumugi has immediately defeated the reset agent. So, okay, I guess that there's she's not going to be in any danger whatsoever. So, it's a good thing we landed on that cliffhanger last time. Boop, 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 boop. So, uh, she explains again, I didn't destroy Tokyo. It was someone else. What's it going to take for you to believe me? And he re and he retorts, Well, you sitting on top of me isn't helping. I don't know. I think that that might help your case with some guys, but uh, all right. So, um, so he points out the fact that confections are limited to one devil fruit eater. Sorry, sweets user. And uh, but Smoogie insists I didn't do anything. I did not destroy Tokyo. It was someone else. Uh, and uh, then she uh, runs away. Because, obviously, she's been accused of a crime she didn't commit, so the best solution is to run the fuck off and, you know, get rid of this idiot. He starts to go after her, but uh, at that moment he gets an alert that uh, another sweets user is in the vicinity. Uh, he starts to say, but I've got to go after the lollipop user, but they hang up on him, which is a great policy. You know, this police force, they're very clear lines of communication. They just hang up on people in the middle of things. Uh... So he wonders what he should do. He goes after the macaron user uh, to do his duty. Uh, macaron user is, um, he's got macarons floating around him. Yep, look at them. Those two bits of cookie with the cream in the middle of them that completely ruin the cookies because whipped cream on cookies is an affront to humanity. Wow, okay, there. strong opinion. Have you had a macaron before? I had one yesterday, actually. Oh, ooh, <laughs> strong. Look, I shit all over the Beatles. I think this still might be a... Oh, never mind. You should have, uh, what, Spirited Away? You still have the Hot Take of the Year award. Uh, no, I, li I like Spirited Away. Well, I, sh I, might I shit all over Kiki's delivery service. There you go. Point. That's it. That's any, it. So, any, any excuse I get, that, that movie's boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> so... 
Uh, reset agent dude, whose name I'm not going to bother remembering just yet, uh, goes after Macaron user. Tsumugi realizes, wait a minute, I sure got away from that guy really quickly. Oh, well, uh, I'm sure that I'm probably going to need to skip town, but I can make it anywhere with my looks. Good to know. Uh, and so she's like, if they find me, I'm go I'd have to go on the run again, but I'll just keep on running. <sighs> God, it would be easier if people would just, you know, not blame me for something I didn't do. Uh, fortunate, unfortunately for her, the battle between Macaroni user and Reset guy uh, lands right next to her. And so she, she, she's like, oh, wow, I guess that guy is not going to be chasing me because he's busy. I should just leave him and run away. But she flashes back to... Or does she flash back, or does she? No, look she over she, her she sees a. She looks over and sees a bunch of macarons and a kid crying and like the destruction. Yeah. She's like, "Oh, I can't do that because it reminds me of what it was like when the lollipops destroyed everything." Yes. So, uh, macaron user gets annoyed by the crying kid, and uh, he's like, "You like sweets, right, kid?" And the guy, the kid, is like, "I hate sweets." Oh man, I want little Nick in this series where he's just like, you like chocolate? Chocolate's gross! I hate it! Damn right. <laughs> uh, so the macaron user seems to take offense to this, and he turns one of his macarons into like a piranha plant mouth, and uh, it goes after the kid. But, oh, Tsumugi spotted a motorcycle helmet nearby, and she's using it to disguise herself, and she summons her lollipop, and she fights the guy, and she thinks to herself, what'll happen if I run away? What'll I do next? Uh, she starts fighting the guy. She saves the kid. The Macaron user is like, why you? And then the Reset guy uh, attacks him from behind, uh, with a sneak attack and takes him out, and uh, immediately he's like, what's with the helmet to Tsumugi? Because, of course, he knows who she is, because she's still, you know, got the hair trailing out of it, and she's in her schoolgirl uniform and, you know, using her lollipop club thing. And he says, I thought you were going to be running away. And Tsumugi says, not gonna. I want to find the sweets user who gave lollipops a bad rap and beat him up, because I don't want to be the reason people hate sweets. But first, I got to convince you. And the reset agent's like, I get it. I don't know if I can trust you, but I'll try. Your lollipops didn't destroy Tokyo. I mean, okay. I mean, I'm sure that she feels good that you believe her, but I'm not quite sure why. But Because she's helped out twice, so he's like, alright, you know what? Someone like you would destroy all of Tokyo with your lollipops because you seem to really care about them. I guess this is the, ex the uh, logic and reasoning of an idiot, because he is a canon idiot. Uh -huh. um, so he thinks that, you know, you can only do good or bad things. But yeah, um, at that moment, however, more agents for, with the reset show up and they spot Tsumugi. So she disguises herself with the helmet and runs off. And uh, Tsumugi narrates as she runs away. This has been a long time coming, but it's a really important step for me. Okay. This was a chapter. Uh, I'll, I'll say, um, look, it's, it's too early, I guess, to get my final thoughts on this series or anything like that. But uh, the first chapter, I was like, this is fine, I suppose. But I'll be honest. So, like, when, when they first got the previews for the two new series coming out, uh, I saw Blue Box and I was like, okay, I don't really know what this is, but I heard it was romance. I was like, okay, whatever. And I saw Candy Flurry. Just saw the picture of a girl with a big lollipop and then, like, the description of, like, a, you know, in a post-apocalyptic apocalyptic world destroyed by candy. 
And I just sat there and I picked up the, the money in the bank. I was like, oh, we've got it. We found the trash that's going to make this all worth it. But to be completely honest, it's not bad enough for that right now. It's not anything. I don't know what this series is or even what it's trying to be. Uh, the, if it's supposed to be a battle series with a comedic slant, there's like three other series to jump right now who are doing that better. If you're trying to be a Torquest series that's weird but at its heart is an actually good battle series it's not particularly succeeding at that i just don't really know what candy flurry is trying to be and i feel like that's going to be a death nail for this series because it doesn't have any real element to what i can think of besides the dumb premise of candy users or whatever i mean it's um it's got some pretty good artwork i would say um, you can it, die on that hill. Eh, you know, it's okay. But um, I think that if this chapter had been more like the first one in terms of just like weird, random shit happening, like she finds a dog that for some reason looks like a pig, like the just playing up just that this is just a generally weird world, then that'd be something. But it seems to be increasingly like the real world if these people with candy powers existed and were a problem. Uh, and I feel like that that more grounded nature is probably holding it back from being more memorable. It's definitely a series that when you see the premise, like you said, you think it's going to be wild and weird. And at times it is, but it really does not seem to have found its legs yet. Uh, it's only two chapters in. Maybe something will change soon, but... Yeah, I'm just very right as, now. I I lost enthusiasm on this very quickly after the first chapter. So this right now to me feels like a series that should have been a one shot idea and nothing more because it, it so far it hasn't shown much plan much beyond that initial premise. Again, it's only two chapters, but yeah, I don't know. All right, let's move on to the elusive samurai. Chapter 14, Command, 1333. Last time, uh, Tokiyuki was injured when he was protecting Genba from a sword attack, uh, and uh, he's not doing so well. He took a big, nasty, bloody wound to the back, and Genba has decided, now that uh, Sadamune and his follower are after them, uh, that uh, he's going to fight back in his own way. And uh, so... Ichikawa, uh, with his hearing, senses that uh, Genba is coming towards them in the dark. Genba then sends up this flare of some sort to get their attention as he's perched up in a tree. <laughs> like a Naruto character. Like, I just, I just, you know, just, um, and so he says, all right, I guess I guess I'm going to have to take you two on. Uh, Genba's... Uh, reputation precedes him uh, ashitake identifies him and says his father was exiled from his clan for a dishonesty and he fell to thievery uh so sanamori recognizes the uh the the name and it's like oh so well that's that clan's a branch of the sua clan so i'll bet yorishige sent you here uh, uh in order to steal the imperial command and Genba's like, whatever the hell you're talking about, I'm just here to, you know, mess with you. And uh, he kicks the tree, which causes all the birds perched in it 
to fly up and cause a bunch of noise, which, of course, nullifies Ashitaka's hearing ability because it's causing so much chaos. And then Genba says, as he takes his action, I don't know much about killing, but when it comes to deception, there's no way a couple of uptight grunts can beat me. And then we get narration talking about how awesome uh, Shinobi are. Yes, they are. So Real ninja, Nick. Real ninja. Uh, this is, honestly, this is closer to what ninja do than anything <laughs> that ever happened in Naruto. In ba- or Basilisk, wasn't that the one that was described yeah. as real ninja? <laughs> Using a bunch of tricks to, you know, yeah. Um, so, uh, all of this stuff that he's doing causes both Ashitaka and Sadamuni to be taken off their guard because uh, Genba is moving around really weirdly as well. It's getting difficult for Yorishige to get a bead on him. Not Yorishige, Sadamune. Uh, but he starts to, to aim and f- get ready to fire his arrow, but suddenly Genba imitates Ashitaka's voice and says Sadamune's name. And Sadamune is like, what the? <laughs> he just gets really confused uh, in that moment and the momentary distraction allows Genba to lash out with uh, a Batman brand Gatling uh, rod. Uh, there's no bat. There's no batter at the end of it. Gesundheit. Thank you. Uh, and he snaps the bowstring. So not going to be shooting any arrows that way. Uh, Ashitaka tries to lunge in with his sword, but Genba freaking throws some sand i think he pocket sands him yeah i'm pretty sure it's sand so. and it's definitely sand and there's a name for that maneuver nick do you remember it aside from aside from pocket sand no a specific person you reference when you do this you mr fuji tim nick come on oh okay salt in the eyes <laughs> yeah uh yeah so he does this ashitake of course is left writhing because he's got a bunch of sand in his eyes and Gemba takes the moment to brag because he's disarmed one guy and disabled the other. And he says, my accomplice's eyes shine at such tricks, and but you, Rubes, are beyond the times. He calls them Rubes. <laughs> Imagine, you, this is where you could tell the age of the people writing this, where you're just like, yeah, you know what kids like to generally call adults they think are lame? Rubes. <laughs> What's, a, what's an old school thing? Listen here there, Shadamune. You'll take it on the arches, kid, and buck it out of here. <laughs> or we'll give you one four, we will. Oh, goodness. I'm in for I'm any in for a penny, not for a halfpenny, as they say. <laughs> Want to hear a joke? My girlfriend's so dumb, the only way they could get out of school was to burn the school down. Ho, 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 ho. Away I go. I don't even know how that was an old-timey joke. <laughs> it's definitely an old-timey joke. I think uh, I watched it in Boardwalk Empire. The guy they had doing Eddie Cantor did it. All that right. means, means it's got to be old, right? Mar- <laughs> Marky Mark wouldn't lead me astray. Genba, at that moment, uh, snaps uh, some coins together in his hands and lights a spark, which seems to set his entire body on fire. And he says, your storehouse was full of old documents. So I told my partner, that paper isn't for stealing. It's for burning. And Sadamuni doesn't know what the hell he's talking about for a minute. And then he realizes, oh, that shack with all my documents in it has been set on fire. 
And uh, so while he's distracted by this, Ginba vanishes. And uh, they realize that the storehouse is on fire. They wonder what's going to happen if the command's inside. Uh, Sadamune says, oh, we've got to capture them. We've got to get them to tell us what the hell happened. But Ashitake at that moment r- realizes that he hears hooves and the two decoys that they saw earlier and knew to ignore have come back and reunited with the two targets they're currently after and now are able to ride off after while Sadamune is distracted. And they realize that there's no way that they can catch them. And of course, Sadamune's bowstring is broken. They don't have any means of stopping them. So uh, Kodra brings up as they've got Tokiyuki and are you know riding him to safety that they came back to reunite with them when they saw the fire signal go up. So there was dual purpose to what Gemba was doing. Hooray! Um, so Gemba reunites with them. He hops on the back of Kojiro's uh, horse, and Ayako scolds him for getting Tokiyuki hurt, but Tokiyuki says, Gemba's the reason we escaped. And that was fun. Let's play hide-and-seek again sometime. The words of a ten-year-old, or whatever, he, however old he is, with a giant sword wound in his back. <laughs> so Gemba looks at Tokiyuki, and he flashes back again to his conversation with his father. He told him, even if you encounter a lord worth serving and you have no ulterior motives, squeeze him for all he's worth anyway! Fleece him until you reach the next life! So, acting on this wisdom, Genba <laughs> hops over onto Tokiyuki's horse's head, which I didn't realize he did last time I was reading this. So unnecessary. Uh, and he says to Tokiyuki, I'll join you on the condition that I receive one province, but I will not forgive non-payment. If you don't come through, I'll track you down and your children and your grandchildren and all your relatives. Uh, and Tokiyuki says, does that mean you'll play tag with them? <laughs> oh, this sweet boy. Again, was like, no! Just, oh, the aftermath of this, of course, is that Sadamune's forces no longer have the um, uh, Minoru to fall on to say, hey, we can take over your lands and stuff. The people that are in place there say, get the hell out of here. You got no authority here, and we'll fucking fight you if you try and take our land. Um, Sadamune is left to th- contemplate this, but he's like, it's all right, it's all right. Uh, I can get another command soon it'll probably take a month uh their reprieve is going to be short-lived but then he suddenly receives word saying uh my lord uh, you can't seize sua's territory which of course makes his eyes bug out and we cover to kyo where the emperor has a whole bunch of people coming to him saying oh yeah we helped out uh, Chicago. Yeah, yeah, we we helped we, you should let us seize land people coming from all over and so the emperor um, is just says, this is such bullshit. This is such a hassle. And one of his hassles says, the emperor says it's a hassle. <laughs> it's too much work. Go home. So as a result of there being so many people who are trying to put in applications to get land and rewards and all this stuff, the emperor is just like, fuck all of you guys. And uh, is just going to allocate the land according to what he says without people putting in word to get stuff. And as a result, 
Yoroshiga gets to keep his territory, and uh, Sadamuni can't seize it because the command that he had is gone, and he's not getting another one for a good long while. So much celebration is had in Yoroshige's territory. Uh, uh, Yoroshige binds Tokiyuki's wounds when he gets back, and he says, "You brought us. You bought us some time. You know, if I had turned over my territory to Ogasawara, I would have never regained control of it. And also, you went over a worthy retainer. No words can express my gratitude." And Tokiyuki goes, "Yay! He's probably on some form of painkiller right now. I'm guessing." Very likely. Or he's thinking about uh, being chased again or something. Yeah, just brings out like, a, ah, just, just a wild bulls. <laughs> ah, a cobra and a cheetah. A cobra riding a cheetah chasing me. <laughs> or a cheetah riding a cobra. <sighs> I'm not sure how that would work, but good. <laughs> Using the cobra, like several cobras as roller skates. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kojiro brings up, yeah, Genba's, you know, his skills are going to be nice to have. And, you know, he's not a really good guy. I don't like him. And we see that he's some, he's already drunk and he's kind of like bothering Shizuku. Uh, but Kojiro brings up the possibility that with Genba's skill set, maybe we could have him just <laughs> slick Takauji's throat in his sleep. But Yoroshige doesn't even hesitate. He says, we cannot assassinate Takauji. This is a good opportunity for you to reassess your opponent. For Ashikaga Takaoji is fathomless even to me. So, looks like we're going to get a little bit more diving into our villain uh, next week. Yeah. Something. It's a good chapter. It's exciting. I like Genma a lot. I like how everything came to a conclusion. It was a very cool week for him and his whole character. So, really dug it. Good times. This was a... Uh, uh, Elusive Samurai has been very solid all the way through so far. So. Speaking of good times, Nick, let them keep rolling. Magu-chan. No, 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 no. What am I missing? I tell. tell... Oh, I forgot to open it. <laughs> this is two series I forgot to open this week. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit what? off. No. Maybe, maybe I could just pretend that I tell C didn't happen. And, well, uh, here, I, I could start up for you. Go uh, ahead. Chapter 13 above. Uh, a bomb went off. Wasn't that yes. bad. Uh, it wasn't even really a bomb, honestly. Yeah. Mar just fucking walks out of the police station. Uh, Sekon is like, hey, fucking what's going on? And I don't know. Gun girl sees Sekon chasing a girl and is immediately like, oh, no, I'm done for. But she slumps down in a weird angle and pose, so I don't really know exactly if that's all they're trying to suggest there. Mar escapes on a a, a, a truck, and yes. Seikon and Aoi go after her. Seikon yeah, jumps they, on... They confiscate a car. Mm-hmm. Confiscate uh, a car. Yeah. Seikon uh, jumps onto the roof, jumps yes. into the car. Now, Nick, what has Seikon been shown to do pretty much exclusively since... I guess the second like arc of the series. What's he doing his free time? Yeah. What is so he must be in pretty good shape, right? Sure. What do you think happens when he shows down with this person in a one-on-one combat hand-to-hand scenario? Does he win? uh, I imagine that probably because he lifts those barbells all the time that he just like puts his hand over not Sonia's face and just like just crushes her skull with his big muscles. That's what happens, right? 
Alternatively, what if he just gets clowned and she just like flips over his face? He looks like a big dumb goober and falls out of the truck. <laughs> it's the kind of heel wrestler. <laughs> I have no idea. Because <laughs> he seems to always lose every confrontation unless someone runs the interference spot for him. Then he can get his finisher off and knock you out and get the pin. But otherwise, on a fair fight, no, 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 no. You're going to be taking five minutes straight of un- uncontested offense. You're going to get super kicked out of a truck and have to <laughs> fall onto a freaking car that's your your ally saves you on. And then you've got to have your other ally pull out her gun and shoot the tires of the truck. <laughs> Again, so now we have this character whose joke has been that she will wildly fire her gun around but she's she's a good shot or whatever she knows how to use her gun so it's definitely not dangerous that she's a cop who has no qualms about firing her gun immediately she fired her gun at the right time because it it was it it got the truck to stop at right just the right point or whatever uh but mar escaped she 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 teleported or something and they're just like well i guess we're gonna have to meet her where she says us like uh, at the the, the big painting heist she set up before. We're going to have to meet her on her turf. That's what we're going to have to do. Because I got fucking clowned in a one-on-one fight. Yet all I do is lift weights all day. They also make another... Dokopon? Doraemon reference in this. Do they? I can't remember where it is. Yeah, I don't remember where it is. But they make a reference. She has her face and she starts shifting between them or something like that. I assume that's what you mean? That's the only no, like, no, they spe- they specifically like name drop it at, at one point. Uh, I remember that happening. I believe it's um. Yeah. Okay. So when she first shows up in the truck and is getting away, she's like, "Oh, this truck is reserved for beautiful people only." And then as she drives off, they note, there she goes, and taunting us like a vain version of Suneo from Doraemon, too. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just how it is. Uh, I should you know, note that the they end... Say, they say don't make reference to uh, a series that's better than yours. Alternatively, do nothing but make references to a series that's better than yours. <laughs> hey, it's been working for me in Roboco for like six months now, so yeah. sometimes it works. Uh, I should note the end of the chapters, like we're going to have to get help from uh, an, a contact, a Miss Aoi, and we're led to a guy who chops things in half. That's his gimmick. He has that's everything in front of him chopped in half, and he says, can I take your friend here and slice him in half? Good times are ahead, Nick. Uh, apparently, Somay from Food Wars uh, turned to a life of crime after his uh, after his uh, cooking career fell off a cliff. So it happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to describe chapters of I Tell See after you read. Like, yep, stuff is happening. I suppose there is there a certain amount of freedom you feel like you maybe get when you're a series writing a jump. And like the boss has called you as often as like, look, it's, you're, you're done. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, man, I'm going to have to wrap up the series in four weeks. Or you're like, or I could just do fucking whatever. <laughs> you can't stop me now. So the let's see here. So the next round of series ending will be in probably about three months, right? I imagine so... we'll get something in summer. 
So we'll see. like a, like a month or two, yeah. Because uh, boy, I mean, uh, Phantom Seers, you know, it's gone. Build King's gone. There's only so many you know padding things that are separating <laughs> you. Unfortunately, also applies to uh, another series, but uh, we'll uh, yeah, get we'll, to that. we'll we'll get to that. All right, let's jump over to Maguchan Got a Destruction, Chapter Forty One. I don't remember this chapter at all. Uh, uh, they make a mini so... Maguchan, and it's yes, it, right. it, it, chapter I had the exact same thing though, because I was trying to think of the chapters this week a day or two ago, and I was like. What happened in Maguchan this week? And for some reason, I thought it was the chapter from last week again. And I was just like, why do I feel like I... I, I can't even remember what Maguchan's last chapter... Oh, the dancing one. I was like, oh yeah, it's one where they did a dance-off or whatever. And I legitimately thought for like a couple days, I was like, yeah, it's the dance-off chapter. I was like, wait a minute. We talked about that one already. What the hell was the joke for this week? So, Oneris... A nice display of continuity demonstrates why she, you know, had been getting swollen uh, in recent weeks. It's because she was working on a plan to create a copy of Magu, a golem that looks mostly like him. There are a few details that aren't quite right so that they're easy to tell apart. Uh, and she explains that the reason she's done this is because the Chaos Cult, under Muskar's command, is trying to take Magu-chan. So she's like, I made a distraction dummy golem. So it's a decoy, you know. Uh, so Magu likes this idea because, you know, it's like, you know, a body double for he, a great emperor person. Uh, Nurse explains that the golem only looks mostly like Ma Magu right now. It'll look, gradually learn uh, what behaviors to imitate so that it's a more convincing uh, diversion. And so, you know, it starts to, like, copy Magu's speech patterns and, you know, his different ways of eating and stuff while, while it's hanging around with Ruru and Magu. Unfortunately, um, the behavior is not perfect. It raids the fridge overnight, for example. It's, uh, you know, doesn't know how to, you know, uh, restrain itself. Also, it's uh, copying behavior that you know, is on the TV that they watch. And so it starts doing like Manzai behavior and stuff. Uh, and so, oh, no, the copy is not acting perfectly. So um, then they lose sight of it, of course. And then Naputuku, we go, go chicken on Naputuku, who is, I mean, you know, he, he, he's, he's trying to learn the fried chicken. He's, he's learning. He wanted he's to trying. learn how to make fried yeah. chicken. Yeah. Um, but it's not working out so great yet. The, the chicken's been dry. Uh, he recalls like, you know, well, he tried to work, he tried to work really hard in order to, you know, you know, cut it, everything. And he's been training. He's like, oh, Naputuku. He's trying to learn to cook. What a nice boy. Fake Magushan shows up and starts eating his chicken, which pisses off Naputuku. And he, so Naputu calls him an idiot. And Magu, of course, imitates him and calls him idiot back. And then he leaves. And uh, Uputuku is uh, chickens ruined. Sometimes it'd be mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. The fake Magu uh, is on the run still. Um, there is a sighting that uh, she gets from um, someone. I, I don't know who's, who's bothering to check in on this guy, but anyway. Um, Freaking pet catchers show up. I, I, uh, 
the fake Magu is acting very randomly because it's imitating so many different people's behavior. Magu decides that it needs to be destroyed so it gets his eye beams ready. But uh, uh oh, it can imitate that too. It uh, but Magu gets blasted away. Team Rocket. So they think it's gone forever. They think the plan is fa- the Nunaris plan has failed. But then, oh boy, the new teacher happens to stumble across the false Magu Manuaku, brings him back to Muscar, and Muscar is completely fooled. This is this boy. What a is dope! Dumb. What a big yes. dumb idiot! So, uh, they're very happy because they think Magamanuaku has joined their chaos cult. Meanwhile, the real Magamanuaku is just freaking hanging out and eating with Ruru. So everyone is happy for now. Except Nepuzuku. His, his chicken didn't work out. Yeah. But he gave, he gave it away, so it was still eaten. So as a chef, you could still take a little bit yeah. of pride in that. But at the same time, everyone also knows that Ruru will eat fucking anything if it's free. So true. there's a little bit too there. You're like, mm, what are you going to do? I do like the little note that it's like, it took the Chaos Cult a week before they realized this was the real Magu Manuku. <laughs> but did they get rid of the double? I know, that's the plot. Hey, look, Nick, you can't kill off Mechagodzilla. There's always one part of him that's left standing so that you can build him again for the next movie. Um, inversely, they had the opportunity to do that with Age of Ultron, but no, they they were like, we've erased no, you gone. from the internet. <laughs> Which nope. is like, you, that are is... <laughs> a, you are a Marvel villain and the MCU, and therefore you are never showing up again unless you're Baron Zemo. I was going to say, unless you're Baron Zemo, in which case, we're keeping you around. You only get better. You got to survive twice. That's astonishing. No one does that. (laughs) Oh, boy. Great show, by the way. I really enjoyed Falcon and Winter Soldier. It had its problems, but it was very fun, and Berenzino was probably the best part of it. So I'm always I'm so bummed they didn't. I, I wanted like a really really meaty scene because I love Daniel Brühl so much, but they gave so many to Sebastian Stan, and I'm still pretty happy. Mm-hmm. And hey, you know that girl who was playing you know, Carly is you know she was, uh, she was a great great well thought out character that I totally understood. Now, yeah, I I agree. Hey, but uh, Anthony Mackie also got a really great scene at the end, too. He really, really got to... That was where, I forget, somebody said they're like, oh, yeah, that's that was the Juilliard and that kid coming out for a little bit when he was like, oh, I'm going to just monologue this. Yes, very unlike a lot of Marvel movies, isn't it? Uh, Properties, I should say. Anyway, I'm sure that people don't need us to add our opinion on that series. I'm sure that everyone who wants to see it has seen it, but anyway... Nine. All right, Nick, let's talk about Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I haven't watched it, and I probably will never. So. Are you sure? It's it's great. They decide to... I've never seen the 90s Mortal Kombat films, so... <laughs> I just want to note this, because it's my favorite part of the whole movie. Okay. Uh, so, if you played Mortal Kombat, you know everyone has their special powers. Some shoot fireballs, some freeze people, whatever. There's a character, Jax, and yes. he has big metal robot arms. Uh, in the movie, he doesn't have those robot arms because his arms get destroyed, which is fine. That's how the story of Jax goes. He gets his arms destroyed, and then he gets new robotic replacements. They give him robotic replacements, and they're little tiny baby arms. And then they're like, you haven't unlocked your arcana yet. And he's like, oh no, a rock's fallen and crushed my friend. Uh, uh, uh. And then he unlocks his arcana, and his little tiny baby robot arms turn into big giant robot arms. And it's just like, why, why did you do this? Why did you make the story about Jack's got his arms so much more complicated? But why would, but, but. 
everyone they they're like everyone has an arcana some people shoot fireballs uh some people shoot laser beams out of their eyeballs and you will grow larger robot arms out of your tiny robot arms you have right now and you have to understand the the first robot arms they equipped him with are seriously like little spindle like the little tiny baby arms. Like you're just like, who would this be useful to at all? It's the best part of the whole movie because you just sit there like, <laughs> see people had to write this. There's a room of people and somebody was like, so what if Jax's little tiny arms grow into big giant arms? <laughs> Alright, yeah. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> Chapter 11, How to Leverage Talent. Last time, Azukita came up with the idea to mitigate the issue of Subaki playing at a diff- the game at- in a different way than everyone else does by saying, hey, you direct the infield defense. And everyone brings up like, I mean, I don't know if this is a good idea, Azukita. And uh, they're like, yeah, I mean, this guy doesn't understand teamwork. And Azukita explains, look, ideally, we have we would have practice teammates, which we all understand a strategy, but that only applies to people that like have a well-rounded set of skills. And our team is kind of a motley collection right now. We have specialized people and undeveloped people. So we need to leverage those individual talents to the max. So I like that if you stop and read how the things are, you could try to guess what the various different like sides of the the, the pentagram are supposed to represent. Mm-hmm. And you're like, so the bottom left has to be intelligence because no one else has any of it except for the, the catcher kid. Right. And well, you're like, I, I guess everyone on the team's an idiot. <laughs> yeah, Tsurugi's got a little bit more than Ryudo and Tsubaki, but uh, not much to write home about by comparison. <laughs> oh, uh, it's essay uh, in the panel yeah. before it. Huh. Running. All right. Oh, you can see that now. Yes, yes. But yeah, you can kind of pretty much t- t- determine it even without that. So, um, so they... Uh, sorry, I somehow just completely blanked out there. So they bring out the point of like, yeah, so Subaki is going to cause trouble for his for his teammates if, you know, he's just got to cooperate with everyone one way or the other. If he you know, is allowed to go the wild, then he'll get in everyone's way. If you try and contain him, then he'll lose his confidence. But if everyone can align with Subaki's vision... We will not only overcome that weakness, we'll greatly increase our defensive power. So this is an ex- this is a litmus test for our team. So Azukita leaves it to Sabaki and says, we're not geniuses like you, so you, would you be willing to direct us? Will you save this pitiful group with your brilliant abilities? Really playing into this boy's fragile ego. And Tsubaki, he's touched by this deep down. Oh, I'm being trusted after making such lame mistakes. And then he goes, what? Amazing servants. <laughs> what a weird boy this is. So he's touched and he's like, my role here will be to be the Messiah who leads them to salvation. He's not saying this to everyone. This is legitimately what he's going through his head. This boy has got a weird ego. So... We go to the bottom of the seventh inning, which is the final inning that they're going to be playing. And uh, Azu goes straight up to Ryudo and is like, hey, let's let him hit your pitches. 
so that we can test out this fielding here. And Rito's like, I mean, won't we'll be be letting the team down if we do that. But Azukita's like, listen, let's trust Tsubaki and we'll win this for our team and for Kokoriyuzan. So uh the first batter uh goes up and he's like, All right, I know what I'll do. Because this guy is, you know, they're gonna be trying to funnel my hits to the shortstop, and I'm not gonna fall for it. And so he deliberately hits the ball towards first base. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, he's able to get on base because Tsubaki's not able to field the ball. But Tsubaki just calls over to the second baseman who muffed the, the ball. And he's like, that catch was beyond your current skill level, so don't feel bad. Okay, so uh, second batter up. Uh, that goes and uh, so he's like, all right, the last two batters aimed between first and second base. And immediately as he's getting ready and he shifts his stance, Tsubaki says, like, the ball's coming this way. He immediately knows where it's going to go. So as the ball, and he says, look, he says to his second baseman again, and when he pitches, zip to the left. And the second baseman's like, what do you mean zip? Uh, but the ball gets hit, and because he was warned about this, he's directly in place and he just holds his glove up and he gets the catch. Uh, and so people are starting to realize, like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And the critical shortstop with the glasses before is like, wait a minute, Tsubaki was directing the second baseman. What, what, since when has he ever been concerned with how his teammates play? Azukita praises Tsubaki uh, and on you know his quick uh, observational skills, and then he's also like, you did good too, Kikita. You, you did good, but <laughs> you know you know how he is. Oh, you're so good, Tsubaki, so good. <laughs> You're great. I just he's a child. <laughs> he's, he's got the mind of a four year old. It's okay. <laughs> so Sarugi is the only one who is not pleased with the situation. It's like, why the hell are we playing to this idiot's ego? So uh, the next batter comes up and uh, he hits the ball very oddly off of his bat. It hits it off the handle. It's a soft line drive that's going straight towards Sarugi. And Tsurugi starts to go towards it, but as he reaches after it, Tsubaki calls, wait, I've got it. And Tsurugi is like, what the, what, what, there's no reason for you to be fielding the freaking ball, you egomaniac. But then he looks closely at Tsubaki, whose face is determined and serious. And when he saw the intense gleam in Tsubaki's eye, he paused. And Tsubaki just says, which is it? And when he heard Tsubaki's words, Tsurugi realized Tsubaki's intent and realized his role. And instead of going after the ball, he looks toward first base and he says, let it drop. And so Tsubaki pulls his glove away from the ball as it falls. It falls right in front of him and hits the ball. And so the liner now becomes a grounder. And so the way the baseball works is... If he had caught the ball, the runner would just be safe at first base. But because he lets it drop, the runner at first has to advance to second. And so they're able to turn one out instead into a really weird double play where Tsurugi is on third base. He receives Tsubaki's toss, force out at third base, then throws to second. They get another out there. 6-5-4 double play. Hooray! 
the game ends, Ayatsuji wins and protects that one run lead that they had. And uh, Tsubaki says, I'm glad you understood what I what it meant to Tsurugi. And Tsurugi's like, yeah, if they're, you know, they're trying to advance, you catch it and throw them out. But if he's on the bag, you let it drop and turn it into a double play no matter what happens. So, yeah, I wouldn't have actually thought of that in the moment. But Tsubaki says, yeah, of course you wouldn't have. But you did really well for your skill level. <laughs> Social skills, zero. Put that on his Pentagon. So... But they do a little friendly fist bump. So they understand each other, at least, even if they don't get along all the way. Tsubaki is very happy and not humble at all. Uh, then he gets up in his former coach's face and he's doing really weird. He looks like he's almost doing the fusion dance, the way he's bending over and pointing and stuff. He's like, how do you feel getting trounced by that player you kicked out? And the coach just looks at him and says, then he looks over at Azukita and he says, did you direct Tsubaki to, you know, direct the defense. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I figured that was the best way to use his skills and to have him, you know, the other players defer to him. And the coach says, yeah, we, my team would have never had that happen, that last play. It was a clever way to use the idiot. I mean, utilize your resources. Uh, and uh, then he also notes, like, wow, you've got, you know, a couple of really talented players on your team. Who who are you? And, of course, Karin steps up, and she's doing the promotional thing and talking about how their cooker use on high school. And uh, the coach takes an interest in this. And then he says to Subaki, you found some good teammates. When you get to cooker use on high school, I look forward to seeing your best work as a shortstop. And Tsubaki and his immature brain has no idea how to process this because he's always just thought of this coach as being a complete monster as opposed to, you know, a guy who made a reasonable change on the team and that he threw his glove in his face because he's a child. So uh, then Glass's boy shortstop shows up and uh, he's like, remember, Tsubaki, you'll never set foot on Koshien, the team that will vanquish Hakuo. That glory belongs to our team, Roku Suikan. Uh, but he's not actually talking to Subaki. He's talking to a vending machine because he's not wearing his glasses. So. Well, it's, it's it's specifically, he's like, you'll never beat our team. Uh, well, our team, Roku Suikon, then turns and walks into a vending machine. Oh, that's actually much better. <laughs> I, just, I, was, I was like, I know, it's the same gag over and over. And every time it gets a laugh out of me. Every time it's worked. So... We uh, get just kind of a closing little montage from here, uh, you know, talking about how they, their unconventional talent on the team was harmonized by their catcher. And from that game forward, the Kokoryu's on name slowly began to circulate in the world of baseball, bringing fresh air with it. And we cut around to uh, three different new characters that we haven't seen before. Uh, apparently all catching word about this Kokoryu's on team that is gathering members. Uh, and that's it. We uh, kind of just get, you know, again, Tsubaki, his picture is added to the roster, but it's a much more official. All right. This is our team. And this is what the dynamic is going to be with this guy in the team. Yep. So. Now, Nick, you mentioned before. Having uh, a thoughts about a series that that might not be doing so well. Yeah. From what I understand, this. um the very least has not been like getting put it's been getting put towards the back of shonen jump it was lately. dead last last week yeah. this right past, there alongside lc this past week 
It was above Itel C and Hard Nose Carpet Dolphin, but uh, it's done at a great place. I know some yeah. people have thought that the last page here was uh, a bad sign. Like, it was like, oh, we don't have time to introduce all the characters, so we'll just do them all at once. I didn't mm -hmm. get that impression exactly, because in my mind, I was like, oh, this is just like when Shield 21 basically had Komosubi, Yukimitsu, and the Haha Brothers all join during the Tokyo Tower arc, basically. So... It's very similar of like, we'll expand on these characters later on, but we can't do an entire arc for each of these characters joining because there's too many fucking members for the team and we don't have enough excuses to actually play baseball at that point. So, yeah, um, we'll see. Um, I, I feel like we're definitely going to at least get a shot of the entire team before this whole series is done. Um, so I look forward to that. Yeah. And uh, hey, it's not over until it's over. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. That's how baseball works. Uh, it's also how most sports work, actually. In competitions in general, usually it's not over till it's over. It is? Yeah. Except for um, hand grenades, actually. That's, again, it's just like uh, just like every other adage. Uh, hand grenades is the one exception. Apparently, it actually is over, even if it's not over yet. Because you're like, mm, okay, can't be right next to that hand grenade. It's going to blow up and kill me. Okay. Well, then. Mm -hmm. uh, remember that. Hand grenades are the exception to every old adage you've ever heard. Early bird gets the worm, except for when there's a hand grenade involved. <laughs> Doesn't matter how early you woke up, you woke up right in time to get that hand grenade. <laughs> Apple Day keeps the, the doctor away, unless you brought a hand grenade in. He's not going to give you shit. <laughs> doctor has to legally at that point call the, call the police because you brought a hand grenade into the doctor's office. Uh, close only counts with horseshoes and hand grenades. Not if there's a hand grenade. Wait. <laughs> hmm. I'll figure it out later. Yeah. It'll all come back to me. Dr. Stone. Time to get stoned. Z, Z equals 194 homo sapiens all alone. The petrification beam went off. everyone. And, uh, long enough that we see that moss and vegetation is gathering over various people's statues, uh, including around Suika, who, of course, is directly at the bottom of the tower with the revival fluid placed above her. And uh, a leopard or jaguar of some sort happens to come across one of the listening devices and thinks it looks weird. So it goes <laughs> now. And uh, I, yeah. I, I recall this. Uh, this is where Phil Collins' song kicks in. Uh, but unfortunately, the Jaguar just eats the family, but the gorilla shows up and takes care of the kid. Put your faith in what you most believe in. Two worlds. One family. It, it's great. I, I love it. Somebody, there was like a TikTok of somebody like listening to the Tarzan soundtrack, like pretending to be a Disney executive. Like, did, did no one tell him this is for Tarzan? He does not need to go this hard. And I was like, <laughs> you're goddamn right. <laughs> oh, man. I remember when I, when I rewatched Tarzan for the first time in years, like a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, my God, this is such a freaking beautiful looking movie <laughs> it really is great that's what and what a dark ending where fucking the stupid ass hunter just cuts himself into a hanging himself at the end it's so brutal yeah. it's great yeah. what, a, what a fucking dickhead right played by brian blessed <laughs> good for him yeah. the i'm gonna guess jaguar uh 
hisses at the listening device, which, of course, transmits sound up into the tower and shatters everything and sends the revival fluid crashing down. At that moment, Chalk seems to be listening and remembers his old friend uh, Suika and howls at the moon. Uh, anyway, Suika's got, you know, freaking uh, stuff pouring down on her and, like, lightning. Wait a minute. So that gets set off. Uh, oh, okay. So I'm guessing... Okay, I misinterpret what happens here. So the Jaguar hissing did not cause the revival fluid to completely shatter. That doesn't happen until later when uh, more time goes by and eventually a lightning storm causes more sound to be transmitted into the tower. And this finally causes the, uh, the flash to shatter, which causes Suika to be freed from the stone. And, of course, immediately, Suika has to squint in order to see because she doesn't have her mask in order to improve her vision. And she realizes, oh, my gosh, I've been freed. I've got to get everyone. i got to get Senku. But she realizes that nobody else has broken out. Only she has. And uh, so she's like, yeah, I got caught and everything seemed really bad. But I've, now I can revive everyone. I can be helpful. She's cheerful about this. So she starts running around. She's stumbling around because she can't see very well. And she realizes, where's the revival fluid? Where is it? So she's running around. Uh, she realizes she needs to get uh, her mask back on so that she can, you know, you know, not be have fuzzy vision anymore. She finds her helmet, but of course it's broken because of all the stuff that happened during the combat. Uh, but she's able to make her way around. Uh, and she realizes that Senku doesn't have any more revival fluid on him, uh, and she thinks that the one that freed her was probably the last one, the last bit of fluid. There's none left anywhere near her. And so she starts to, uh, she slumps over and she starts to get hungry. Uh, she ha finds some uh, preserved food that's in, been placed in a jar, and so she eats a bit of it, and she's like, once this food's gone... Suika's going to starve. Suika's going to die all alone. And she starts crying because she's in such despair. She cries and cries and she calls for people to wake up. She calls for Francois to make some food and she calls for Senku to tell her what to do and she calls for Kohaku to give her a hug. And she says it's really hard being all alone. But then she thinks and she remembers that Senku was alone when he first woke up. And he was determined to survive. And he managed to come so far, even after waking up all on his own. And she thinks to herself, Senku didn't even know if anyone else could wake up. But this time, Suika knows for sure that everyone can wake up. with Just a little revival fluid. Suika's got to find everyone's statues because maybe someone was carrying some fluid. They're scattered all over the place. So Suika's got to bring them together no matter how long it takes. And uh, some time passes, and uh, we see that Suika has managed to successfully gather enough material to get food and clothes and build a shelter for herself. And just like the monkeys observed uh, Senku before, they think that Suika's a weird-looking monkey, but Suika says, my name is Suika to them, and Suika's a human. And uh, she looks a lot more optimistic now. And also her mask is kind of completely ruined, It's but she's fashioned into like a half mask. Like a now. collar almost that she can yeah. use as uh, 
uh, what do you call them? The glasses where it has like a separate thing at the bottom. Oh yeah, yeah. The Bi- is that bifocals? No, like that. Aren't all glasses bifocals? Most of them, but uh, okay. yeah, I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah, yeah secondary. It's a very cool little little chapter, and uh, I'm sure that uh, probably what's going to happen is we're going to learn that Luna and Chelsea do have some revival fluid beyond the one that they lost, but we'll see. It would seem possible. They took a while kind of explaining the, excuse me, the woods and everything, like, you know, bullet ants and everything like that. I feel weird to not have Suika have to deal with some of those challenges in order to get something. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let's move on, Nick, to Mashal, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 60, Mash, Burn Dead, and the Sinful Change. Uh, so, Ooh. yeah. Uh, so we start the chapter off over at the Bureau of Magic, where I can't remember his name, but a guy's there, and then narration <laughs> comes in and is like, We've got big trouble! Innocent Zero's on the move again! And person who I don't know is like, One of their leaders gets security on it immediately. We'll need order and count it, and he's like, No! It's Innocent Zero themselves! And uh, the person I don't know says, well, that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) It's such an understated reaction. (laughs) Oh, it's the big leader. Well, this does also confirm that Innocent Zero is the name of the group and the leader of the group as well. So we get a little confirmation about that. Uh, Then we actually go back to where we left off before, where Margaret has uh, done sound metamorphosis. And we see this powerful energy come off, and then there's this moment of, like, their fingers are are growing large, and they have this huge hump, and, like, this big bulbous growth is growing out of their forehead, and there's this huge explosion of energy and screaming. Everyone's like, oh my god, I never felt power like this! And it all goes away, and Margaret's just very handsome and younger and has hair, and everyone's like, what the fuck, you're a kid with hair! And he's like, yes, look what you've made me become. You're quite sinful it does a little x thing and mash is like oh he's he, he's doing the pinky x what does this mean i don't know it's, <laughs> i think it's i think it's like biting your thumb at people where it's like this was a horrifying thing to do back in the day uh margaret just says look i'm not just younger in this form i have full access to my true magic power let me show you and he's suddenly right next to mash and he blows in his ear and it's the second most sensual thing to happen in Weekly Shooting Jump this week. Um, yes. <laughs> we're going to be there real soon. Um, Mash uh, is like, oh my god, it's a nerd. And I love that Lemon's the one who's like, oh no! <laughs> it's like the one time you see her in this entire it, But it would make sense that it would be she's the one who's like, oh no! That's what I want to do! I want to whisper sweet nothings into his ear. And everyone's just like, wait, how did uh, Margaret do that? Like, he moved instantaneously. And they're like, yeah, I can I can unleash spells that I couldn't use before. And right now I've had enough mass tries to punch him. And then suddenly Margaret's gone. And he's actually like, up on the top of the stadium. And it's like, basically, we get to the thing like Margaret saying, I am sound myself. I travel at the speed of sound. And it was something where as this was happening, I was like, little weird that we're doing another super fast character against Mash when the fight with the Biss Razor was like less than a year ago, but whatever. There's a different gimmick to this one where uh, Margaret literally is moving at the speed of sound. He snaps his fingers, and at that point he basically moves anywhere he wants to. 
And he has Mash on the rope because he's just too fast. And he's going, he's dashing forward to his big finishing move. Everyone you know, even thinks he's like, that's going to do it. And then he attacks. No one's there. How did he dodge it? And uh, this time it's not Finn who's just like, I saw everything. It's actually Gehenna who's just like, he actually used the transitive property of sound. Sound travels through liquids and, uh, and solids faster than gases. So he held his hand against the back wall of the arena and the sound transferred through that faster than it did through the air. So he was able to dodge. And it's such a silly, ridiculous thing. And Margaret's just like, eh, it doesn't really matter. As long as I can snap. And he tries to snap. And not since Thanos snapping before he realized it. He was like, oh, I should have checked to see if Stone was in there first. His hands are covered in tartar sauce. He's like, when did he? Oh my God. I How did Mash even do this? I don't know. <laughs> I can't make a sound. And uh, at that moment, Mash takes his opportunity and delivers a clothesline from hell. Yeah. What kind of a what kind of a composer is uh, Macaron if he can't even think of doing any other sound than snapping his fingers? Yeah, he was He's like, like I, I can't snap my fingers. I can't make sound, period. You could talk. Oh, that would no. make sound. What, what else can I possibly do? <laughs> what, make sounds with something something else other than my fingers? What could you be talking about? What sound can I make with my body other than snapping my fingers? I have no idea what you're talking about. What kind of sound can I make? Oh, I hope there's a plot point where Mash is about to punch him and then he farts. <laughs> that teleports him away like, fart! <laughs> and he's on the other side of the room. He's like, whoo! Oh, boy. Yeah. All right, uh, Nick. Is, yeah, it's a fine chapter. Yes. It's great. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Let's talk about it. There has never been a more fluid exchange in all of Twitter <laughs> than me retweeting my old one being like, oh, sweet, innocent, last week me. And Nick saying, oh, no, I haven't read the chapter yet. And then the response a few moments later, oh, no, I've read the chapter now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it really did take me just those three minutes to read this. Uh... <sighs> Ayakashi Triangle, Chapter 42, Ms. Ibuki. We are introduced to a new teacher, some sort of gym teacher, a very curvy young woman named Ibuki Yamase. And uh, there are some guys who are hitting on her, male students, it seems like. We're just like, you're cute. What's your name, teacher? It's just like, you don't have a shot. Stop it. She's a teacher, you idiots. But she's like, yeah, at least I'm Ibuki Yamase. My thing is going to be my womanly hips. Anyway, so. And that dump truck ass, Nick. Come on. Look at that. I will never be so crude as this series. Anyway, <laughs> Matsuri with his giant cleavage shows up and tells the boys to stop bothering Mizu Ibuki because she's not interested. And so they're like... <laughs> It's not like we can't just keep on hitting on her, but uh, they, I guess they're cowards, so they just you know wander off. And so Ibuki thanks uh, Matsuri, and uh, Matsuri's like, "Hey, come on! How many times has this happened to you already? You have to shut those boys down. They'll keep on doing it otherwise." And it's like, Matsuri, you run away from boys every time they express interest in you physically. I mean, is this, is this just like he doesn't understand how to deal with it when it comes to himself? Whatever. Uh, so anyway, Matsuri walks off, uh, with, uh, with Suzu and, uh, Yayo and Lou 
And uh, then we keep up with uh, Ibuki, who goes and talks to the big muscly teacher guy with the mustache, Mr. Sujimori. And she says, can I ask you about someone? What kind of a student is Matsuri Kazumaki? And so Mr. Sujimori is like, well, you know, fine student. A few problems, uh, like sneaking out of class sometimes. Did she do something? And Ibuki's like, no, I was just thinking that she's such a lovely student. She's uh, oh, blushy. Ooh, blushy, blushy. Um, Soga's talking with Rayo also about Ibuki. Um, his bird boy um, says, I sense the unusual way that the teacher looks at Sermatsuri. Uh, she, she has the gaze of someone in love, Po. That lady teacher intends to have a forbidden love affair with a female student, Po. Oh, boy. So, however, Rayo brings up that her grandmother, the principal, told her something. And uh, when uh, Soga hears it, he reacts, surprise. But we cut over to Suzu and Matsuri then. They're walking home from school. Uh, Suzu is mentioning that uh, she's uh, thinking up ideas for an Ayakashi medium costume because she wants uh, Garaku to design one for her. And I'm uh, sure it'll be sensible and very tasteful. And will not have any cleavage whatsoever. Uh, but uh, Matsuri, of course, gets jealous, and she's like, you, you, he's like, you don't need anything like that. But Suzu says, well, no, 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 I, I do, because, you know, if I have a specialized gear, it can have, you know, functions like your Exorcist Ninja gear. And it's like, that is the most sensible thing that you could have possibly addressed about this entire thing, and I will give you credit for it now, but not when I actually see it, because it will probably be ridiculous. But anyway, uh, she says she wants to be able to help out Matsuri more when there's more Ayakashi uh, instance in the future. Shirogane brings up that Suzu should he needs more experience to increase her power, and he says to Matsuri, you need to th stop thinking of her as someone who always needs to be protected, which is a good point, because Suzu has, like, helped out Matsuri just as much as he has helped her, like, the last three missions that they've had, or something like that. <sighs> Ibuki shows up, and you know she shows up because she immediately grabs Matsuri's boobs. Just immediately. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So that's her first appearance, just going boom. And so she grabs them and she says, oh my, such cute breasts. Which uh, Suzu's response is bizarrely restrained because she's like, what are you doing here, Ms. Izbuki? As opposed to, get the fuck off my man, which you would think that she would do, given all of her reactions to anything sexual that happens with Matsuri lately. But then Ibuki unexpectedly says, I agree with Shirogane. And everyone's like, wait a minute, you can see an Ayakashi? And then Matsuri's like, she's so strong, I can't get free from her groping my boobs. Because, you know... Uh-oh. Did we lose Nick? Not now. Not when we're on such the precipice. Uh-oh. I like that we're getting... Monstery says, wait a minute. Look, the internet won't allow me to criticize this series. Obviously, <laughs> the internet has decided this series is masterful, and I should never react with anything other than the deepest respect for this work. You're good now. 
It, it, it wanted to give you anyway, a moment. It was, so, it, was, it, was, it was waiting for you to pull everything together. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't call attention. Don't let it know that this is a negative review of Ayakashi Triangle. Okay. So Matsuri realizes that the wind jutsu has stopped. No, that's not it. She seized control of my wind. And, uh... She's indeed moving her hands around and the wind is moving with her hands and she binds Matsuri in the most sensible way imaginable. Hands, knees, ankles, and under the skirt to lift up the skirt. <laughs> well, you know, that's consi- what you considering what her ultimate goal out of this was, I suppose that was a practical way of doing things. <laughs> you know, as long as she's deliberately trying to finger Matsuri, then I guess it makes perfect sense. You're right. Yeah. Uh, it, it it was a moment where I was like, wait a minute, this is an Eden Zero. <laughs> What's going on? What's with this bondage finish all of a sudden? <laughs> so she just goes, she literally dives under Matsuri's fundoshi with her hand in order to feel around there. And she remarks very matter-of-factly, even this part has changed. While Suzu goes, bah, and Matsuri just goes, hey, which, honestly, like... She also licks her fingers before doing it as well, or at least puts them up to her mouth at the start. You're like, why was that necessary? Yes, so she identifies that Shirogane has cast Gender Swap Awaken Jutsu on Matsuri and notes to Shirogane, you've come up with an interesting Jutsu. But Shirogane's like, what the, how do you know all this? Who are you? And she says in response, of course I would know in my position, but there are some things you just don't know unless you see them in person and stick your fingers in them in person. And suddenly the wind blows around her and her appearance changes and it's Merlin from the Seven Deadly Sins. <laughs> Merlin never dressed that sensibly. <laughs> Look at this full, it's like full pants or a skirt. I don't, it's, you know, it covers all of her though. That's, that's insane. And she says, to finish this thought, like how my child could be so adorable when turned into a girl. That's not the word you're looking for, considering where you just put your hand, ma'am. It, it. Is such it, it's a moment like so there's like a real double whammy in this chapter where you're like, oh, this teacher introduced herself by grabbing Matsuri's boobs. Okay, whatever. Oh, she can control wind, so there's something else going on here. Oh, it's, it's like a weird wind bondage thing. And then you turn the page, you're like, well, that's far more graphic than I was expecting Ayakashi Triangle to get. Really, really not hiding anything there. And then the reveal of like, hi, I'm Matsuri's mom. You're like, what? <laughs> You did all this to your own fucking kid? What's going on? I feel as though it was like last week when I said, you know what, this is just stupid fan service. I don't want to really want to talk about the series anymore. And then someone got the memo to Yabuki Sensei who was like, I'll show you stupid fan service. But it's so stupid that at least it gives me something to talk about. But uh, that's uh, this is dumb. So uh, yeah. Um, all right. They introduced Matsuri's mom, and she fingered her gender swapped son. So if you had that on your bingo card, 
good job. I didn't call it. it, it it's it was it was it's truly an astonishing sequence of pages where you just sit there like I you know <laughs> when chapter one came out I thought this series might go in a lot of directions but I was I was not quite prepared for this one. <laughs> <sighs> All right, Nick, let's okay. talk about Black Clover, page 291, a duel with a distant inferior. A duel? A duel. Oh, go get my cards. Yeah, get them all. Uh, so we open the chapter with the fallout from Asta beating a devil who could use both ice and fire magic at once. Uh, I didn't know it was possible, but he did it. And he's just like, you know what, Vice Captain Nature Boy Flair, you really are a lot like Captain Yami. And Nature Boy Flair is like, I'll fucking murder you. Uh, but he's like, ah, my arms hurt. We had to stop the Dark Triad. Uh, and, and Nature Boy Flair is like, yeah, the one I'm really thinking is in the worst scenario, though. And we cut over to the fight between Dante and the great hero, Jack the Ripper. Uh, <laughs> Jack the Ripper has unfortunately not been doing so hot. He, he He's on the downswing. He's pretty bloody. Uh, he has a blade coming out of his forehead. I don't know what that's supposed to be really useful for. I said duel five minutes ago, Nick. I don't. <laughs> uh, you not know. getting out of this, man. All I'm right. going to take this 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 deck, which is definitely a deck and not a random collection of spare uh, cards. Oh, I was going to say. All right. Well, let's let's see. You draw your hand. You You can go first. I have four normal monsters and also a thousand dragon, which is a fusion card and shouldn't be in here. <laughs> <laughs> so you're cheating already. I guess I win. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm wait till I use my turtle oath. Uh, I don't have crab turtle in my hand, but uh, you're gonna get it on once I summon that normal monster. All that, right, uh, has no effect. Uh, play, play it. Uh, hold on, I have a response. Play your monster. Okay. Uh, hang on. Do I even have Crap Turtle in this collection? Uh, no, I have no ritual monsters in this set. Uh, okay. I'm not going to lie, Dick. I, you have a real Yugi style deck over there. Kuagata, which is a very bad card in attack mode and in my turn. Okay. I, I play Regeki. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not, not going to lie. I have six more in my hands. <laughs> Every turn, it's Regeki. <laughs> Uh, so Dante is just like, let me thank you for entertaining me. I will kill you spectacularly. Um, and then very quickly, a fireball launches into him. And he's just like, hey, what's going on? And who should show up but Magda and Zora? So I guess that wasn't really foreshadowing so much that they were here. It was just like, okay, here they are now. Um, <laughs> and I like Dante. Dante's like, these guys suck. Why are they here? And they're just like, yeah, we're here to to rescue you and, and Captain Yami. We're going to do it. And Magna even specifically says, I'm taking you down by myself. Dante just starts laughing. He's like, if I were you, I'd quit mocking me. I'm telling you, taking you on doesn't even count as a fight. And Magna says, yeah, I know you're tough. And we cut back to apparently Zora and Magna were there when Dante attacked the Black Bull hideout. And actually saw everything from afar, but Zora actually held Magna back from trying to interfere because he knew he wasn't strong enough and he would just get killed. So Magna is just sitting there saying, yeah, I know you're tough and that I'm weak. <coughs> but I can't just go back to everybody else and pretend that it doesn't bother me. Uh, Dante's just like, you know, 
I have no intention of using any of my magic on garbage like you. Attack all you like. I'll let you fight me. And once you're satisfied, get out of here. And Maga says, okay, I'll take you up on that. And he throws the fireball. And Dante is like, whatever. But then there's a chain attached to him afterwards. And it's attached directly from Dante's chest to Magna's chest. And suddenly, a lot of Dante's power just disappears. And he says, I'm no longer at 100%. Wait. This is half? That's completely nuts! And Magnus suddenly has this huge power-up. And he says, you know, there's no way a peasant like me could squeeze out magic like this. So that's why I came up with this spell. This bullshit hack. (laughs) Secret flame magic soul chain deathmatch. I put your magic and my magic together and then split it equally. This is how I fight with you ultimate types. Peasant or not... Magna Swing of the Black Bulls is going to crush you. I really wish that I had a life equalizer card in this random collection of cards because that would be perfectly uh, in tune for this. Um, So this is an interesting ability of Magna's. Mm -hmm. It's total bullshit. Yes, it is. It's absolutely 100% (laughs) bullshit. Uh, I'm weak, but no, I'm not. (laughs) And look, I get it. Like, you're like, hey, I'm going to do... uh, you know, I want to do a dog collar death match or whatever, and, and, and you know, whatever. I, it turns out I had baseball themed fire magic. And I could just do this. Uh, also, it's weird that you could just kind of specifically invent magic to do what you need it to do. Like it feels like everyone should be coming up with very specific things. Then, uh, but it actually, I do like the actual thing. Like I, I think it's actually pretty cool for Magna to get a thing. It doesn't actually take away sort of what was the only defining character trait of him, that he was the most normal, like, non-broken member of the Black Bulls, and he gets a big power-up that keeps him at that level. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's interesting. You ever get, can you ever get the idea? It's like, like you remember the Yu-Gi-Oh! had cards like Painful Choice, but they also had cards like The Inexperienced Spy. Select and see one card in your opponent's hand. People used to actually play cards like this. What the fuck? Anyway, this chapter so, was this chapter was uh, <laughs> different, at least. I'll give it that much. Hey, you know, when you've been doing a card game for, what, like, 20 years now or whatever? You know, you come up with a couple duds. They can't all be winners. Yeah, it was Darkfire Soldier number one, which is uh, only moderately more useful than Darkfire Soldier number two, which is the exact same card, but with 50 fewer defense points. Uh, well, consider Wing Drag... Wing Dragon Guardian of the Fortress, number one. And you're like, didn't yes. need a second one of these. <laughs> nope, because Wing Dragon Guardian of the Fortress, number two, has fewer attack and defense points. And all this... <laughs> this this is what's truly astonishing. You remember the attack and defense points of Garbage Car? <laughs> like, yeah. Wing Dragon of the Fortress uh, the gar- uh, had 1,400 attack and 1,200 defense, and number two had, like, 1,300 attack? And I believe uh, 1,200 defense, too, so... Well, I mean, if you want to, if like I, I did, I dedicated my teenagers to stupid hobbies. If you want to test, you You know what? We got some, it looked like we might end a little bit early after one piece. I'm going to quiz you on some random ass cards. Okay. Random card, a random old card. Yeah. Random old. I don't, I don't even know what the new cards currently are. Okay. Go ahead. Well, no, we got uh, do. Let's do one piece, and I'll come back to it. We'll we'll do one piece, piece and then we'll come back to that. Okay. Stay tuned, everybody. We're going to go. All right. Um, to be more complete about my thoughts on Black Clover, I'm glad that there is like a new magic thing that actually feels like new magic as opposed to just, you know, 
a new elemental form of something. And it's not. And while it is in a way, mostly like, yeah, he just nullified magic. <laughs> um, I do like the aesthetic of it. It's, it's it seems unique, you know, in a way um, with the, you know, like we're chained together and we each have like, you know, knuckle dusters that are going to punch each other and stuff. Um, it's like using skill drain. Uh, <laughs> keep at it so yeah but uh, at the same time eh, alright so let's move on to One Piece with it's weird giant Nami color page <laughs> uh, it's chapter 1011 the code of sweet beans oh <sighs> Sorry, I'm just I just kind of like in rapid in a quick succession went through the entire chapter in my head and it made me smile. So, <laughs> okay. Kid and Killer have pursued uh Big Mom over the edge in order to uh take the fight over to her, make sure that she's still separated from Kaido. Um however, as they kind of go out towards her, they see lightning gathering around her and Kid's like, "Wait a minute." I thought that we captured her lightning because, of course, Zeus is still up in a box on the uh, top of the island. And so as they're nearby her, Big Mom shouts out, Time to test you out! Show me your power, Hera! Hera, of course, was Zeus's wife, so it's it's received reference. Yeah. Uh, And she shoots some lightning. And uh, it... um, does not seem to directly hit Kid and Killer, but it does. It's a big old lightning blast. So, uh, of course, Big Mom's still very powerful. So, we cut over to Zeus, who in that moment is suddenly freed from his scrap cube prison that just falls apart around him, and so he goes filling off, trying to find Mama, and and uh, Law, who was observing this, realizes the kid's power must have weakened. So presumably, he got at least a little bit of that lightning bolt she launched. Uh, Law thinks about what to do because Big Mom's gotten back to the castle, and she he thinks we really don't want her to come searching for that cloud, Zeus. So uh, he says, "All right, Luffy, I'm gonna leave you here alone, and I'm gonna take everything else." And he pops away. Luffy is left with Kaido, who gets to his feet after being punched in the last chapter, and he laughs and says, I can tell you're enjoying yourself. The more precarious the situation, the bigger your smile. And, of course, yeah, Luffy's got a big old happy grin on his face. Uh, They leap in towards each other. Kaido swings his club. Luffy launches a kick, and it's just like the flashback clash between Whitebeard and Roger. Their attacks don't even hit each other. The power surges between them from their hockey-enhanced attacks and causes a huge explosion between them. We cut away to where Kid and Killer are. They are now on the third floor of the compound, and uh, yeah, they got hit by that blast, but they're mostly okay. Uh, and they're trying to figure out where they are, and uh, so they realize that Big Mom probably can't tell exactly where they are because the hole that she made with the lightning blast is so huge. Uh, They go to try and stop her from preventing her from uh, meeting up with Kaido, but they immediately run into Hawkins, who's got his bendy sword stuff again. 
So he's and... not dead. And no. he's there. Yes. So uh, they they trade some uh, you know bars because of, of course, Hawkins betrayed Kid uh, before. But Hawkins says, hey, don't forget, I was betrayed by Apu just like you. All I did it was avoid a fight I was certain I would lose. You, Fuck you, dude. You can't blame him. He does, his whole thing's like, I see the future. He's like, oh, it's going to get fucked up there. I guess I'll, you know, not for nothing. I guess I don't die if I do this thing. Hmm. But at the same time, he also, I think like almost every time we've seen one of his predictions, he's like, there's a 98% chance we'll all die here. It's never fucking come true. Yeah, true. So he also, he's like the dice uh, guy from Eden Zero. He's like, at some point you're just like, <laughs> oh, it's a 400% chance I'll die if I take out the trash tonight, honey. I can't. I'm sorry. He calculates the kid and, and uh, killer are going to die with a 92% chance. And then he summons like this big spider scarecrow thing with his powers uh, or transforms himself, I should into, say, yeah. into that. Uh, and he's like, poor, poor Hitokiri Kamazo. And kid and killer are like, what the fuck ever, dude? <laughs> uh, Hawkins wishes killer luck and killer says, go to hell. I don't need luck to beat you. Uh, Killer and Kid split off too. Killer is going to fight Hawkins. Kid is going to go and try and find Big Mom. So we then cut over to Tama and Usopp and Nami, who have uh, is this this is page one, right? Isn't it? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, it's page one. His uh, beast man form, and he's latched on to their mount, and uh, they're trying to get him to. Go, go away and stop chasing after them. Um, so they're like, God, will you leave, knock it off? And page one says, when will you finally give up? And Usopp and Nami say, never, we're not dying here. And they're just bonking him with their, t with their weapons, which are not meant to be used that way. Um, Tama says to her mount, Komachio, we're almost there. If we can just reach the stage in the open area, I can give a command to all the enemy fighters that Horselina helped feed millet dumplings to. And if they join our side, my job is done. As long as I can help out, I don't care what happens to me. We've got to get to the stage. But uh, Nami's like, hey, you know, Tama, we'll, we'll protect you. We're not going to let anything bad happen to you. Nami also makes a note that he calls Usopp an old man, which Usopp says, I'm... 19. <laughs> They're the same age. <laughs> um, but uh, they're still having to deal with page one, who's still clinging on to Komachio. Uh, and so Usopp says, don't worry, Tama, I've got this. And he launches one of his green star attacks, a freaking fireworks flower directly into page one's face, causing an explosion right next to them. Which, of course, is not good. Usopp apologized because he doesn't have any close-range weapons. Uh, then he manages to launch exploding pine cones, which knock page one off. And then they blow up like freaking grenades right on top of them. And then he says, how do you like them cones? Which, um, that's not the expression, buddy. But, uh, all right. He's you did a good job. He's you trying. You did a good job. You did a good job. Of course, page one's not finished off from this. He immediately gets up on his feet. Uh... And uh, Usopp at that moment remarks, if only those millet dumplings worked on anything but smile users. So an important distinction drawn there between anyone with a beast type zone fruit that's a legit devil fruit 
versus Smile Fruits. So, no, Tama cannot take over every beast to type Devil Fruit user in the series. So, at that moment, Big Mom comes around the corner. <laughs> she immediately looms over them, freaking out Usopp and Nami. Uh, and then Big Mom peers down and recognizes Tama. And I was like, oh, right. When she had amnesia, Tama was nice to her. And yeah, Tama's really happy to see Big Mom. She calls her Olin stuff. And Big Mom immediately stops looking mean and upset. She's like, oh, you're, you, what are you doing in a dangerous place like this? Uh, and they start chatting and stuff. Nami and Usopp are freaking out, standing right there. And Big Mom says, well, thank you for help, for helping me while I lost my memory, Otama. And uh, Tama's really happy that her friend's got her memory back and stuff. Uh, and then she says, I'd never forget how that busybody Otsuru from that grimy little Okabori town took me in. And I'd never forget the tasty flavor of that tiny serving of Oshiruko. And then Tama gets sad. And she says... That town's not there anymore. The people there lied and said they ate all the food they gave to the samurai the night before the big raid. So Kaido's followers burned it to the ground. And Big Mom gets really pissed off. She remembers how she was given the little food amount of food and taken care of. And she thinks about how it was burned down. And she gets really pissed off and says, Kaido's followers did that to the town that was nice to me? And page one at that point walks up and is like, oh, big mom, don't let those guys pass you. And he starts to lunge for them, op jaws open wide. And big mom says, don't you know that even in the cruel world of pirates, there's still a code of honor. And she punches the fuck out of page one and sl slams him, I think, through the floor. She hits him so hard. And immediately everyone's like, what is she doing? And yeah, Big Mom is a really weird person who has taken a liking to someone who fed her recently, so she's temporarily on their side. So It's an interesting little mix into everything. I have to assume that it's not going to be a very permanent thing, um, but it'll be interesting. I mean, this is certainly setting up a couple things. Um, definitely Nami getting uh, Zeus, most likely. Yes. It seems like we're heading now. Because I guess she doesn't need a narrow to have stronger lightning. I guess Zeus is there. It's uh, it's an it's a way to potentially neutralize Big Mom in this combat without having to have them defeat two warlords in one conflict. Um, but I guess we'll see. Two not warlords, two emperors. Yeah. It also helps that. It also gives some, like, payoff to that whole big mom has amnesia art, like, storyline yeah. that went on. Like, it's like, oh, okay, there's, like, an actual payoff to that, so. Yes. So, interesting stuff. Uh, and we'll see where this goes from here. And, yeah, it definitely seems like we're probably heading the direction of Zeus is going to stick with Nami if big mom is just like, no, fuck you. You've been <laughs> unreliable, and I'm kind of getting rid of you, so. All right. Well, that's gonna that's gonna wrap us up. Do you want to do your -Oh trivia now, or do you want to do our MVPs first? Let's save it for the end. I, uh, let's save it for the end. Okay. All right. A little a, a little susan for the people who stick around to the very end. You gotta stick through plugs though. 
you can't skip ahead. Your po- your uh, your phone and, or iPhone or uh, podcast player doesn't have that ability. No, it does not. Can't Guys, skip forward. Thank you for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. It's time for favorite series and MVP. Uh, favorite series for me, I think I'm going to say Kaiju number eight. I think it was just a really, really nice chapter. It, it, it's, it's honestly, I think it's just because of that shot of the eye at the end. I really think that's just the thing that stuck with me all week. Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree. It was a quick chapter, but it was a very big chapter, you know, like, and I think that the part for me was seeing the various other characters reactions to what was going on, you know, Mm -hmm. Hoshina berating himself for not seeing the possibility because he had taken a liking to Kafka, Mina being the one to step up and demand that Kafka surrender himself, even though, you know, that like this is her old friend and, you know, she's putting on the very dutiful face but you know she's not very happy about it uh it's a effective emotional turning point chapter uh i will say though that uh uh samurai very good as well yeah i think there were actually a lot of really decent series this week uh mvp i'm gonna i think i'm gonna give it to to magna uh from black clover i think it was a decent week form and it's just like i like the payoff uh, actually no it's gonna be matsuri's mom from uh ayakashi triangle i mean if you're gonna talk about the character that gave me the biggest impact this week the fact she licks her fingers before doing it is really that's the that's the part i'm gonna analyze the most come down okay uh i'm gonna i'm gonna give it to to magna i'm going to give mine to suika Okay. Um, it's uh, mostly because, like, yay, Suika. Uh, but um, I think that it's a, it's a very effective. Oh yeah, she's not going to just be okay with waking up by herself, and all of her friends are temporarily dead. But uh, it's just a nice, short little look at her. You know, realizing that she's in a bad situation, but getting that determination to carry on, and not solving everything right away. But you know ending the chapter on an optimistic note that she's going to she's going to save everyone and she has a a nice a cool little update appearance i guess since we just went from talking about ayakashi triangle to talking about this i will say that there have been some people in our discord and chat room who have expressed worry that boichi is going to use this as an excuse to age suika up and make her look sexy which don't don't you jinx this into existence guys don't 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 make let me believe this won't happen. Shut up. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the audience, by the way, picked uh, Kaiju number eight as a series of the week, and then they agreed with you. Actually, they agreed with you all the way across. Suiko oh, was yeah, also yeah. their character of the week. So there we go. Guys, thank you for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We record the show Wednesdays starting around 7, 7.30 Eastern Time Uh and uh in the evening and uh you can check out our previous episodes on weeklymagarecap.poppin.com on youtube on spotify on itunes podcast places it'll be on there and uh we uh, would like to uh, thank you guys for joining us on the show we would like to thank you guys for being part of our discord community if you are interested in checking out the discord then do so we have a nice community that talks about the recommendation that we're working through, weekly chapters as they come out, other manga, other stuff, Among Us games on Saturdays. It's a fun time. 
And uh, we also want to thank everyone for supporting us on Patreon. Your, your support allows us to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. And we'd like to extend special thanks to the maintainer of our Google Doc, which keeps track of all sorts of statistics associated with the podcast, including recommendations, MVP and favorite series voting, and all sorts of stuff like that. Thank you, NJX3i, for doing all of that. And uh, we want to extend special thanks to our tarot card artist, Steve Mann. You can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. And to Milo Jack Stillitz and Winsley Dell Cheddar for creating the opening sequence that you can see on the video version of the podcast. All right. Uh, I've got 10 of these open. 10? Ten. 10. All right. Let's see how many of these you can get out of 10. Okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start what I feel relatively easy because these are these are all, I think up until like six, maybe okay. seven, I actually still played the game as well. So let's start. Right. Uh, Trial of Nightmare. Trial of Nightmare. Do you want you want attack and defense points? Yeah, just tell me the card. Uh, well, it's also called Trial of Hell in the original Japanese. Uh, it's a coffin that's got a sword going through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Normal, no effect. Uh, Thirteen hundred attack and like eight hundred defense. Nine hundred. I'll, I'll give that to you. That's very close. Very good. Okay. Uh, uh, Rock Ogre Grotto, Grotto number one. Number one. Number one. Okay. Uh, this is a bit tricky because there's a Steel Ogre Grotto number one that's like a five star monster. Rock Ogre Grotto is like number one. Right. I'm not sure if we ever got a Rock Ogre Grotto number two. There actually was. Uh, there, there, there's definitely there was. a Rock Ogre. Okay. I'm not sure which is which it is number one or number two. This is like a three star rock monster. Again, no effect. Um, it's like 800 attack. Mm-hmm. What's defense? Oh, you want defense? Yeah. 1,600? No, that's way too high. 1,200. I'll still give it to you. I'll still give it to you. All right. Liquid Beast. Everyone's favorite. Liquid Beast. (laughs) Liquid Beast. Liquid Beast. I'll I'll describe the art for you. It's like a little uh, tannish blob. He's kind of smiling. And he's got like uh, five uh, blue little eyeball things. And he's looking at the screen. He's, he's real happy. Oh, I mean, I, I recognize the name, but I think this one has me at a loss. All right. um, I'm guessing it's an aqua type. Uh, that's that's a good guess. Name. It's a good guess. Okay. Um, I'm assuming it's also a normal monster. It's also uh, a good guess. I'm going to say 600 attack. No. It's 950-800. Okay. He's a little three-star monster. So you're, you're, you're two and one. Two and one. You can still okay. you can still come back. Vampire baby. Vampire baby. Okay. Yeah. So this is an, a three-star effect monster. It's got a weird giant head. Um, no, wait. Is this vampire baby or am I thinking of There's the Red Moon baby. Red I'll, Moon I'll, I'll baby. I will say this is specifically okay, it's also an red... updated version. It's okay. The... Right. Because they wanted it to be because they used to call it Red Moon baby, but then they started calling it vampire because it's a vampire monster and there's now a vampire archetype with support cards and stuff. And it's much easier to just update it that way. And it's like 700 attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, like. I think it's over a thousand defense. I think it's like fourteen hundred defense, uh, but it has an effect, which has to do with like equipping itself 
with monsters that it destroys or something like that. If this card destroyed a monster by battle and sent to the graveyard this turn, you can special summon that monster to your side of the field. Oh, okay. That's so. That's actually a better effect than I thought yeah. it was going to be. But uh, also, one thousand defense straight 1, up. Thousand. Yeah. I gotta stop giving these three star monsters too much credit. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a three with like an asterisk on it for that one. Okay. There are a few details I didn't quite get. The Earl of Demise. Oh, that's easy. It's a normal monster. It's dark. It's a fiend. It's got 2,000 attack, uh, 800 defense, and it's five-star. Uh, 700 defense, actually. You're gonna, you lose all the points you've accrued to this oh, one. I got too cocky. <laughs> I'm like I'm like teching, saying that I can name all of the different ketos. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. What a great moment to go back and relive. Uh, yeah. Uh, the dragon dwelling in the cave. Dragon dwelling in the cave is uh, four-star wind dra- I think it's wind dragon normal 2000 defense and 1300 attack there you go there you go back back on the board back rolling cabazols cabazols that's oh that's a that's a water dinosaur four stars 1700 attack and i think 1000 defense it got employed heavily in rescue rabbit decks because you could special summon two of it from your deck with rescue rabbit in order to uh, use them for xyz material well, it's a fifteen hundred defense, so oh, too low on the defense. Yeah, yeah. I just, the thing, like, unless the defense never actually comes into play, that's my weakness on a lot of these. So people running about, uh, six hundred <laughs> attack and defense, fire, pyro, no yeah. effect. It's part of the uh, it's part of the huge revolution uh, three monster set. It just made me laugh because it's just a card called People Running About, and I don't know why. It's also like United Resistance and, oh, God, I forget what the big defense one is. But, yeah, there are three normal monsters that you use a trap card that completely wipes out your opponent's field in hand if you get all three of them out. So Acrobat Monkey. That's a machine. Earth Attribute. No effect. Uh, 1,000 attack, 1,800 defense. There you go. You nailed that directly. I almost gave you... you you GX. Ah. uh, I almost gave you Battle Footballer, but I was like, there's no way Nick doesn't have that card memorized to the T. 1,000 attack, 2,000 defense. I was going to say, he might honestly be able to give me the flavor text on it as well. No, I don't remember (laughs) flavor text on these things, but... And finally, Big Koala... Oh come on, that's easy. That's 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 freaking Hayato's signature monster. It's got uh, it's is a it? seven star. It's a seven star Earth Beast with twenty seven hundred attack and I believe two thousand defense. There you go. I think you got all of them, but like two. So yeah, you've won. Uh, Absolutely a, not. Gi- a giant nerd award. A big ribbon that's going to come to your house and say I'm a loser. That's right. So the trivia contest results. Chris for winning gets the the big briefcase. I for winning mean that Chris gets to put a little sticker on that briefcase that says Nick's a huge nerd. <laughs> Nick so. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's gonna do it for the podcast, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.